Mr. Robot Season 2, Episode 2. Colonel Panic is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by a man. I go, I kind of think of him as like more of a Lieutenant Panic than a Colonel Panic, Antonio Mazzaro. General Panic, sir. General Panic to you. Yes. Uh, hi, Josh. Major, How are you? Major Panic. Major Panic, exactly. Yeah. You could go with really any of those. Sergeant yeah. Panic. Uh, yeah. But yeah, how are you, Josh? We're here. We're ready. It sounds like that sounds like a kind of a nervous G.I. Joe character. Yes. Colonel um, Panic. No, the nervous G.I. Joe character, I feel like that's Private Panic. Ah, good point. Uh, he's like a low-ranking character, oftentimes really freaking out quietly in the privacy of his own barracks. Uh, that seems to be Private Panic to he, me. he has his own barracks? Yes. He that's is pretty big, good. He's pretty well off. Yeah, Private that's Panic. good. Private Panic, yeah. not a bad guy at all. No, he comes from a really, like, you know, high-scale, high-class family, and, like, some sort of bad thing happened, and he's, like, shipped off. It's kind of like when they ship Samuel Tarly up to the wall. It's like, you don't want to do that anymore. Uh, it's kind of like that. He's from Sam- Horn Hill, Private Panic. Samuel Tarly is Private Panic. You make a good point. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what's He also on. has Private Panic. Oh, stop it. We're not talking about Game of Thrones. We were talking about Mr. Robot. We were talking about episode two of season two the season pushes a pace more blood in this episode more confusion more talk about control being an illusion antonio let's get into it where do you want to start i don't know josh controls an illusion so i really don't feel like we can start in with this is a christmas episode josh <laughs> is that what this is yes. it starts with christmas anyway. yes it's a mr robot christmas episode it's a Mr. Robot Christmas episode. There's a little bit of Santa Claus magic happening. I don't think that this is really... Uh, I, I would be very interested to see the full-blown Christmas episode of Mr. Robot. I don't think we're ever going to get that, but who knows? I don't think so either. I mean, you can imagine young Elliot waking up, hoping to kind of unwrap like an NES, like a Master System, or uh, some kind of Atari 2600 or old game system or something like, like that. You can picture that kind of Christmas morning and disappointment of young Elliot. Like, I can see Mr. Robot leaning hard into that aspect of Christmas. Uh, and I can hear, uh, look, we know Elliot's thoughts on organized religion, Josh. We can only imagine what Elliot's thoughts on holidays must be. Not great. <laughs> Not great, Bob. Yeah, yeah. this is... Uh, Don't this think is, he's a big Christmas guy. This is a show where even if you lean hard into the Christmas episode kind of motif or uh, setup, if you will, you, think about it this way. We see the beginning of this episode, uh, a flashback to the beginning sort of FF society. We assume this is the Christmas before the five nine hack and right away we're getting almost a halloween episode because we have a tale of terror unfolding josh oh my god it's great it's uh you know it's it's our last living romero scene apparently oh my gosh uh, which is which is such a bummer but it's romero and mobley and romero is the guy who brought f society to f society uh he is the person who is in possession of the arcade before f society really fully gets up and running and Romero is giving us a little bit of a history lesson in what this space was before it became the F society that we knew from season one. Uh, it goes all the way back to 1924, the Bedford, uh, the Bedford Lilliputian. It was a freak show slash dwarf sanctuary. Yes, I didn't know we had sanctuaries, Josh. This is great. Uh, no, this is interesting because he does tell this story about the Bedford Lilliputians, and then he tells the story about the, the other owner who fell off her bar stool and impaled herself on a pool on cue a pool in 1986. Cue, yeah. And the Bedford Lilliputian, uh, the Bedfords, they, there was like some horrible murder where the husband killed the wife and killed the kids and killed himself, and there was never any motive. Uh, and there was the, yeah, there was the, the son, like the thick-headed son who wanted to take over the space and he shot his dad to take it over but didn't account for the kickback yeah. of the weapon and flew out the window and so his twin brother got blamed for it all 
Yeah, I want to talk about this because Mobley Kyra Romero kind of starts off this rant by complaining about this generation's ADD, which is interesting in an episode that focuses so heavily on Adderall use, yes. which of course is a big ADD medication. And that's a maybe a, a little bit of a nod or a wink or it's just kind of a convenient thing. But then you've got a story that he tells and, and the ending is what you've just described. The His cellmate, Clyde, uh, was the twin brother of someone whose blockheaded brother shot, stole his twin brother Clyde's rifle, shot their father, and the rifle kicked him back and shot him out the window. If you take that story on the surface, it's a crazy story. But my question is, how does anyone know that that's actually what happened? It seems like the kind of thing a person who murdered their brother and father would make up. How does anybody know that the kickback is what pushed him out the window? That's the first thing. The second thing is, what do we know about somebody going out a window, Josh? Sure. That absolutely has a connotation here on Mr. Robot. Elliot very famously falling out of a window, whether he's pushed intentionally, pushed accidentally, however you want to slice it up, by his own father. We saw that in the season two premiere. Uh, so yeah, that's a very important historical moment for Mr. Robot. Yeah, and it is look, not a pure one-to-one parallel, obviously. We don't know the, we weren't in the room when the push-out happened. All we see is the fall out the window. We've heard it described as an accident. Some of our other viewers and listeners of the show uh, have described it as perhaps a suicide attempt by young Elliot. Whether or not anything different happened in that scene than we've been led to believe, we don't think there was a brother on the scene. And yet, there is a lot of odd stuff going on with the timelines. Uh, Elliot's mom appears to be pregnant in pictures. We don't know where Darlene is. At the end of the first season, when the family all shows up with young Elliot there, almost a recreation of the beach photo, but no Darlene. There's been speculation that maybe Elliot and Tyrell are brothers. We talked about the older son theory. So here we have a twin brother story that somewhat closely uh, mirrors uh, somebody going out a window, the Mr. Robot kind of genesis of Elliot that we saw at the beginning of this season. Maybe there's a brother in play, maybe not. It is a very interesting thing. Uh, This show obviously introduces a lot of stuff for us to kick around and play with, and I think this is certainly one of those things. It's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it other than, you know, what it really builds to. I hadn't thought about, you know, the reliability of that story that quote-unquote Clyde has told or how that might be a parallel to Elliot's own journey. The thing that I really took away is what Romero says Clyde believes about this place. He says he thinks it's cursed. Uh, he believes it's haunted. He believes it's the nexus of all evil yeah. in the universe. Yeah. Um, and certainly this is going to end up being the place where F Society comes together and puts a plan into action that takes down or attempts to take down and at least severely wounds Evil Corp or E Corp, um, which would be a historic achievement for this group. Um, they certainly thought that they were, you know, achieving positive things in the universe. Uh, is it a little bit more deadly than they thought? I mean, we're looking at the world of Mr. Robot here in two episodes of season two and even in the season one finale that it is a scary place to live in. So that makes you wonder a little bit, you know, this whole idea of this is the place that's the nexus of evil. Uh, was a great thing accomplished here or was something really, really terrible done here? Yeah, we need to check the ley lines, Josh. We need yes, to see that's about right. the ley lines and where they cross and whether this lays on one of the ley lines that brings evil into the world. It's 
Holtzman shows up, I am going to lose my mind in like, the next episode. <laughs> that is just going to be too much for me. Not, not me. I want all Holtzman and Mr. Robot. I want Holtzman <laughs> yes. in everything. We, well, we got to be careful. This is not a Ghostbusters podcast. No, no, it's not. Yes, uh, Bustin does make me feel good, but we can't do that. Oh uh, I will say ultimately that it is it is an interesting kind of connection, and it's not obviously not clear one hundred percent what's going on. The other kind of little piece of passing information that Romero mentions here is that the public records are in limbo. The power is being siphoned. That doesn't sound like a thing that is a direct link to anyone like Elliot or Darlene. Uh, It's not like they're signing a lease for this place. Uh, It's not like anyone who maybe, I don't know, happens to stumble upon the joint as an FBI agent, I don't know, at the end of this episode, say, uh, will be able to look into the records of this place and find anything other than the connection to Clyde and maybe the connection between Clyde and Romero as cellmates. So that connection is there. The rest of it doesn't really link back to anybody, as Romero kind of says in passing there. Well, we're pa- you know we're skipping to the very end of the episode sure. and talking that through, but, I mean, she does know what a DJ Mobley is. She's coming for our son, Antonio. We can't have that happen, Josh. We can't, we can't. have that happen. We need to call the military, and I think we need to start with Colonel Panic and work our way up. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you say, like, you know, the records won't connect back to Elliot, but if she looks through the records of DJ Mobley... Ah, the actual then ones she, and twos kind of records. Yes, then she might be able to find a connection to Elliot. I think that you know that's a that's a huge reveal. Uh, yeah. the fact that Dom is able to find F Society. So we'll talk through the ramifications of all of that. We will, but the the property itself is not in anyone's name, and it does link back to Clyde and Romero, and that's kind of what Romero's saying there. Uh, Mobley's pitch to Romero is just basically like, we need you. In a way, this pays for everything. Pays for everything. Yeah, I think that's interesting because this shows that even before Christmas. Uh, the year before, presuming this is only about six months before the 5-9 hack, this plan was already in play. I think we previously discussed when the first season begins, Elliot's in treatment with Krista. Something has happened over the past year, we know, in that moment where Elliot has had to go to treatment, and it's only really just the beginning of Mr. Robot showing up in that story. Clearly, I think before before that, this pitch has already been made right. to Romero and Mobley. So what was Elliot's mindset like then? Mobley kind of generally references Elliot there. Like, oh, you, he, you're going to, you're really not going to like him. Actually, he'd love to meet you, but you're really going to probably hate him, but he's really smart. Like Elliot is already putting the team together and he's already looking at Romero before he's ever met Mr. Robot. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that he must have been in full-blown robot mode at that point. I mean, we see a little bit of that in this episode of what Elliot looks like as Mr. Robot. I think by the end of the episode, we're getting a good look at that. And I feel like the way that Mobley is describing our F-Society founder, it is, he is describing the Mr. Robot side of Elliot. So for at least a good amount of time before the series began, it sounds like that was the active life of Elliot. Um, I'm sure we're going to get more illumination on it. You know, not for nothing, this is two episodes in a row. Uh, the first two episodes of season two to begin with flashback. I would be very, I would not be shocked if that continues. I don't know if it would be every episode or anything like that, but the fact that we've gone back and seen events that have occurred prior to us getting a chance to see that stuff. I feel like that is something that we can look forward to a bit more in season two, which is cool. It's great to start getting a lot of these pieces falling into place. And I think seeing Elliot as the man who brought this team together, I don't think that's off the table. I'd be really, really shocked if we actually didn't see something like that at some point in the next few episodes. Yeah, we had that marked on one of our things we were looking forward 
to in season two, getting some flashbacks, getting to see kind of the genesis of F Society as we talked about what was next for F Society. So it's great that we're getting that. The other really interesting thing that I hadn't thought about until we just started talking about it here is that the first episode, the premiere, the two episode premiere, if you will, of this season, the big kind of takeaway is when people see you, they see me. Right. Uh, and you're going to take the mask off and what's behind the mask is Mr. Robot. We see this conflict continue in this episode. It's fascinating because I think our previous thinking had been that Elliot was slipping into Mr. Robot as the first season started when he sees him on the train, when he gets pushed off the rail. This is Elliot kind of Mr. Robot emerging from Elliot. When in reality, what you're saying makes a lot of sense that maybe Elliot was full robot before and Elliot was actually slipping away from Mr. Robot and only then slipping back into him as we started season one. This wasn't the first kind of thing. This wasn't the the pop-up, the genesis of Mr. Robot. Elliot at some point maybe had gotten him under control and he was slipping back out. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And then it sort of just reemerges on his radar as season one is moving along. Yes, exactly. And so this is a guy that is constantly putting the mask on, taking the mask off, both literally with the F Society mask and kind of figuratively with his struggles with Mr. Robot. And people are seeing him as in Mr. Robot when they meet Elliot. And that's, you're right, the kind of person that Mobley is describing uh, when he's introducing kind of Romero to Elliot by sort of third person or indirect characterization, talking about Elliot. Uh, He's talking about about the Mr. Robot version of Elliot. So that is fascinating because we know that this is a Christmas either one or two or sometime before the 5-9 hack, not after. Wouldn't, wouldn't think more than, you know, two Christmases. Yes, but at I least... Think we're talking about, like, within two Christmases. Yeah, and probably six months. Uh, this yeah. is probably the Christmas right before. So this is an Elliot that, that we don't know much about when we kind of were going into season two. We don't know much about what Elliot was like before season one started. In fact, he says to us as his friend, like, I've only known you for a month now or whatever we don't we weren't really in his life at that point uh but now we're finding out a little bit more of him in the indirect characterization we're getting people talking about him sounds like mr robot to me sounds like mr robot to me what happened to the what happened to the u and n josh i was just gonna ask you what happened to the u and the n in fun society apparently that's a story for another time according to romero are we going to get the 90 minute flashback episode about what happened to the u and the n in fun Society? Uh, hopefully i want to know how the u got its tattoos and what they meant (laughs) it means tattoos uh, he walks among you but he is not one of you oh my gosh you knew that like right off the top of your head that is a stranger in a strange land. Better than us, reference. yet one of us. Yeah, yes. I, I, I didn't know you were bilingual, Josh. I am bilingual. That's Everyone great. Knows That's this. great. Everyone knows that about me. Yes. All right, moving on, we go from this flashback sequence to answering or at least addressing the cliffhanger of the premiere when Elliot ended up talking to Tyrell Wellick on the phone. We get to see the continuation of that phone call. Thankfully, it would have been very cruel to not let us see what's going on there. Unfortunately, that's really all the Tyrell that we get. And while there's probably a lot that we can chew on here, it's still just like, you know, like a two-minute thing. And it's only Tyrell's voice. He is MIA otherwise in this episode. Yeah, and it's uh, the transition between the kind of flashback from the Coney Island is is we see the Coney Island of, of nowadays days of modern day if you will uh there's construction we see the freedom tower again uh that's two up two and two josh so the freedom tower is really popping up uh i'm not sure what to make of that but sam esmail certainly loving showing us the freedom tower uh at least metaphorically so there's that and then yeah we see elliot's kind of head bandage 
bandage, head bandage, I should say, fade into the red telephone cord, which is interesting. I don't know if there's any significant, anything significant in that transition, but Elliot's head bandage with the blood on it does transition into the red telephone. A lot of people, I think, are tracking the color red throughout this season now. It's been in a lot of places. We'll talk about how the red wheelbarrow shows up yet again in this episode, but we do the red blood on the kind of headband into the red phone cord. And yeah, it's Tyrell, who's not where he's supposed to be, but very soon he will be, Josh. Yeah, very soon. Uh, And when Elliot says, and where is that, Tyrell pauses for a minute and then says, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, I don't think we should. We shouldn't be getting into that. We shouldn't be getting into that. I hope you're not having second thoughts. Yeah, Elliot says you think someone's listening. We know, of course, someone's listening. Mr. Robot is listening. Of course, and Uh, so are we. but, But yeah, Tyrell says, don't tell me you're having second thoughts. You don't want me to have to worry about you. Uh, which is ominous. That's a very ominous thing to say. Elliot says, I need to know what's going on. Tyrell says, it's not safe. I wish it were. Oh, how I wish. How How I I wish. wish. I think about you a lot, Elliot. I think about that night when we became gods. Gods! When we became gods! Gods! You know, this to me almost sounds more like Fernando Vera than Tyrell Welling. Yeah, it does. This sounds like somebody who who is very, very terrifying and speaks in pure nightmare poetry. Uh, This is, you know, (laughs) this kind of of dialogue, it it feels more like it would come from the mouth of Fernando Vera than from Tyrell. And even Elliot wonders aloud after Mr. Robot hangs up the phone, um, saying it's not safe on the phone. Elliot is wondering to us, you know, talking to his friend, did I really just talk to Tyrell Welk? Did I really just talk to the most wanted man on the planet? And that's when Mr. Robot's like, don't talk to them. Talk to me. Uh, and it's Elliot challenging the nature of reality and questioning the authenticity of what just happened, much as the viewer tends to do, much as we, his friend, tend to do. We are wondering what's real and what's not. Interesting to have that so explicitly on the show here. Yeah, and the, the best part of it, the summation of it all, is Mr. Robot says to Elliot, like, you talk to him. And Elliot's response is, I talk I to, talk you, to too. you, Yes. Yeah, like, hello, like, am I really not meant to question this when I'm talking to a person? that I know that I'm manifesting from inside my head. Like, right. And I'm, I'm also talking to my friends and you're going to give me crap about talking to them but not, you know, think that it's possible for me to wonder if that was really Tyrell Wellick. Uh, so I think that that's all, you're right, it's all really fascinating that this it's is also, going on. And it's also, you know, we should be skeptical, uh, you know, given the fact that we see Mr. Robot can conjure up men in mystery hats. You know, he can call in the men in black to tie up Elliot and pour cement down his throat. He can create illusions that Elliot is going to get wrapped up in. Why shouldn't we suspect that possibly Tyrell here on the phone is an illusion? Um, So I think, you know, there's plenty of reason to think and to believe that Mr. Robot could be generating this. Yeah, uh, I mean, when he can call up September from Fringe and just have him show up to throw cement down Elliot's throat. The observers are on Mr. Robot right (laughs) now. They are. so Just drinking all your hot sauce. Well, and the, you know, we have to remember that the way the phone call kind of happened is Elliot's sort of in therapy, right? And he just kind 
kind of, or not therapy, he's in the group kind of meeting and he kind of like passes out or something and he wakes up and then he's on the phone and it's ringing and Tyrell's on the other end. Like he has lost time. He doesn't remember how the call was placed. We speculated last week that it was Mr. Robot who placed the call in sort of response to Elliot saying like, I want to talk to him and I'm not going to let you kind of control me until you let me talk to him. And then Elliot kind of comes to out of some kind of thing and the phone is ringing and it's Tyrell on the other end. And we get the confirmation in this episode that it was Mr. Robot who called him. Mr. Robot basically says, you wanted to talk to him. I got him on the phone. Like, let's go now. And it's not, it's really not going to, the whole point of this conversation, everything that Mr. Robot may be trying to do with Elliot, it really gets kind of hijacked at this moment because Elliot finally hears for the first time about Gideon. Right. Yeah. He finds out about Gideon. Um, he says to us, uh, you know, Mr. Robert says, what do you want? And Elliot starts to, to talk to us. He says, I want the panic to stop. Then he sees the news on screen that Gideon is dead. And he says, but the panic won't stop. It won't stop. Um, so, yeah. And he's going to have, you know, basically, poor Gideon. It's going to be a fairly frigid reception to the news of his death for oh, the yeah. people that it would matter to. No, Angela's uh, really been torn up about it, Josh. I'm really broken up about yeah. it. Uh, you know, she's really going to be closed off about it. Elliot, you know, he's going to have a moment later. Later in the episode where he says, like, I feel like crying, but I can't because I'm so high. Um, so, like, we know that it's Rough. registering with him. But poor Gideon, who's really not getting eulogized in, uh, in the moments after his death. So much so that we're now going to be focused on a different main character's death. No time to mourn the dead. No, absolutely none. And this season two did promise to be darker. That was one of the things that we highlighted on our preview show. And I'd say within three episodes here, the first being the two-parter and then this one, uh, we've certainly descended into the darkness. We have had two of our kind of more main characters uh, in, from season one dying. I don't think we're done. I'm I'm nervous for our son, Josh. I don't know exactly where this is all going to go, but things are bad. And this is sort of a bubbling theme. And I think the really bubbling theme, the thing we need to really kind of hit from this moment on, because we talked about it last week, is what role, if any, is Elliot playing in this darkness? Is yeah. Elliot, it, through Mr. Robot or otherwise, somehow kind of manifesting this because in the previously on segment we saw the scene of mr robot threatening romero with a gun we saw that kind of happening we saw a scene of mr robot shooting elliot in the head giving him getting him pollocked as we called it we saw that as well then we find out in this next scene that romero is dead having been shot in the head Right. Did he finally fire the bullet? Did he finally fire the bullet that took Romero out? We saw Mr. Robot last episode saying to Elliot, Gideon is a loose end. He's dangerous. He's going to take you down. Then we saw Gideon die. To what end is Elliot or F Society involved, or Elliot as the head of F Society, or maybe even Darlene, involved in these killings? That's the question that Mobley is asking. Yeah, exactly. It's on the show. Our son is wondering about this out loud. Trenton is wondering as well. uh, Unplanned trips to arizona are happening as a result of this that's a kevin finnerty kind of thing that we don't want to see happening to anybody so these are bad things that are all kind of jumping off and people are actively wondering if elliot is involved and i think we're meant as viewers to be actively wondering that as well yeah i think so for sure all right well we'll talk about romero in a second let's just backpedal just a tiny tiny bit to talk through tyrell a little bit more what are we gleaning from this interaction between elliot and tyrell i mean i think that we talked through a little bit is this you know is this an illusion or is it real i think that you can examine it from both perspectives if this is an illusion if the worst happened and elliot killed tyrell how do you read this scene 
that Elliot has a lot of guilt and panic over that and that Elliot feels like you know something maybe is kind of left unanswered or unhandled with that. Whether that's Joanna Wellick uh, because she did interact with Elliot in the days after and we had that really weird scene, that's the kind of loose end for me only because she got that music box with the telephone on it. Last episode, we saw that she missed a call from an unknown number. I think if you're on team Tyrell is alive and Tyrell can be reached by phone somehow, then that is a kind of scenario where, yeah, he called Joanna. Uh, therefore, he's clearly alive because he's calling Joanna as well as talking to Elliot. Uh, but was that really was that really Tyrell calling Joanna? We don't know. Was that Elliot somehow trying to call Joanna? Who left that phone there? We don't know the answers to those things. If Tyrell is dead. Elliot's whole kind of thing that's going on here, what he talks about throughout this episode is panic. It's having to deal with guilt. It's having to deal with all of these emotions that he can't really keep at bay and that essentially overcome him. As we know, that's ultimately what causes Elliot to manifest Mr. Robot to begin right. with. The loneliness, the guilt, these negative feelings that generate and percolate in Elliot to a very toxic and negative point such that Mr. Robot manifests. And Mr. Robot is basically saying, like, these aren't feelings that are in you. These things are you. I'm right. deeply rooted within you. So if Gideon is dead and Elliot has killed him, on some level, Elliot knows that and would be controlled by the guilt and the sort of negative feelings associated with that. Uh, Elliot, young Elliot, still feels like he's responsible for his dad's death by not letting him die the way he wanted to. So this is stuff Elliot already carries around with him, and that's what he would be carrying around with him if Tyrell were dead. I get the sense that he's alive. I do too. Um, I get the sense that Tyrell's alive. I just I feel like I feel like there's still more business to be done with that character. Um, it's just it's just the feeling. And when you think about it from that perspective, now, like when you talk through Tyrell's side of the conversation from the perspective that the Tyrell that we got to know over the course of season one is still alive and speaking the way that he is speaking on this when phone we call. became gods when we became gods and how he says oh how i wish how i wish uh, i think about you a lot elliot this is a very frightening figure that is lurking in the world of mr robot right now yeah and there there are legitimate questions i think and i definitely want to get into them we'll have to put a pin in it though because it has to do with philip price white rose the things that are kind of the greater overarching story of this world that we don't really know about yet but there are questions about what level of pawn gideon or not gideon but tyrell might have been yeah. was he a pawn in a bigger player's game did he know that uh, how much was his becoming unhinged part of what made him easy to manipulate if that were the case or how much of it was him as his own kind of willful act doing what he was doing was he manipulated by elliot was elliot manipulated by someone else i think these are all very valid questions and i think that wellick plays a huge part in all of that and wellick's sort of descent into madness throughout season one was a fascinating story because he's very i think clearly rooted in a weird place right now he's not where he needs to be but very soon very soon uh he's how i wish how i wish we became gods uh there's a lot of talk of gods and who is god and worshiping gods and these sorts of things that occurs in this episode it's a very interesting word choice from tyrell uh kind of almost saying it in all 
awe-inspiring kind of way. Like yeah. it was a great thing that they became gods. So it's all really fascinating. Even just three or four sentences of Tyrell is just delicious. It's really good stuff. All right, now let's talk through the tragic, tragic demise of. We find out his name is Leslie. Leslie Romero. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we've got some Romero on us. Yes. Oh no, good. Yeah, we do, and uh, that is, it's sad. We we meet Romero's mom. We find out. I think maybe the real reason for Romero's marijuana business. Uh, his mother has cataracts, which, cataract, we, which we yes. heard him talking about in the arcade. She's also got arthritis. Uh, these sorts of things can be really treated with medical marijuana, so he seems to be interested in doing that and helping his mother. We do know that he was kind of an old-school hacker, what they call a freak, somebody who's more into telecom kind of hacking, the people that are like the Captain Crunch whistle early free long-distance so like calls. A, he's a prank caller. He's like a jerky boy. Yes, he's a jerky boy. Baba Booey uh, is his favorite phrase to say yeah, yeah this is what romero is no he's a he's just a he's an interesting dude and he's dead uh, he's dead he's dead and mobley's going over to see him just kind of hey what's up uh and what is what is not up is unfortunately romero's body temperature josh no it's cold it's yeah cold. this is he's, bad he's gone that's two major characters two episodes back to back that we have lost we lost gideon in a really surprising way we didn't even get to see how romero died romero is just dead when we come upon him um he is shot in the head it certainly looks like he has some white paint that's on his body uh there's some white paint that is you know just like kind of spilled around the crime scene there's a lot of blood that's pulled around some of the paint is on his shirt uh it looks like he has a phone that has been damaged there's something else in the frame that i know you really wanted to hit on here yeah uh you see the broken phone there in the frame next to his body and it's clearly kind of been smashed up i guess to to destroy it and destroy what was inside of it there's also josh a little uh, little personal computer there a little raspberry pi in the scene mm. is and that what all of that red stuff is that's just like the filling from the raspberry pi it's so delicious yes that's actually what it is and uh romero's not dead he was just making a pie and he fell asleep on the pie and it squished out no a raspberry pi is something we've seen on this show before that is the computer that elliot used to kind of control the air dream network the network of that was at steel mountain that allowed him to kind of hack in to multiple steel mountain facilities at once and execute the five nine hack it basically allowed him to get in the back door of steel mountain get into multiple facilities at once run the kind of encryption software that created the five nine hack so this is a raspberry pi computer sitting by romero's body what it means i don't know this is an earlier version of a raspberry pi i think uh, if there are any really eagle-eyed people out there they can tell me but i'm 99.9 percent sure that's a raspberry pi sitting by his body so what that means tbd what that means tbd it is something that is linked to f society and elliot in the past uh, on this show, but it could be something that people know is linked to F Society and want to kind of leave a, a little bit of a we're coming for you F Society kind of calling card. It's the Joker card. It's the Joker card, if you will. That's, we're going to get into another Batman reference later in this episode, I 100%. think, Josh. Hondo, yes. yes. Why uh, do we fall, Master Wiggler? Why do we reference Batman, Master yes. Wiggler? Yes. yes. But yeah, that is, uh, that is that remains to be seen. I think if, you, if you're on team, F Society is involved and Elliot is the head of F Society killing the other members, I think this is a little bit what you might read as an Easter egg. Uh, if you're not on that team and you're on the team, other people are taking F Society out. Uh, this could be an interesting kind of clue in that uh, as well. But it's definitely there. 
it's so sad to see Romero dead. You know, Romero was great. I remember the Romero juice. Pour some of that out for poor Romero here. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I just, I don't think that, you know, going into season two that Romero was even really very on my radar as far as a person that could die. Or at least somebody who wouldn't die without having a couple of moments. And granted, he has a great moment here in this episode, in that first scene of the episode. That's an all-timer. You know, that might be the Romero moment other than him with Mr. Robot. That was a really great one as well. Um, But I just, I think that if I was looking down the list of the F Society characters coming into season two, I might have said, like, Mobley, you know, not to speak ill of our son, he would be the one that I was probably the most worried about if someone was going to be made an example of. But for Romero to be the first F Society person to just be assassinated, uh, to be murdered, that was that was a real shock. I was as shocked as Mobley was going around that corner, seeing Romero just dead on the ground. Yeah, he's and always, bummed and bummed, severely bummed as well. He's always the, been the best foil to Elliot. He's the one who doesn't put up with his BS. He's the right. one who's upset they didn't execute together. He's the one who hasn't trusted Elliot at any point and has problems with Elliot as kind of their leader. He's always been the one that pushed back the most at what Elliot was doing and has been the most hostile and angry to all the plans. And yeah, there's that great scene with Mr. Robot and Romero, which is not only shown in the previously on, it's referenced by Mobley in the episode. So we know there has been the previous confrontation with Elliot involving a gun. So it is, uh, it is, it is a character that I think if we did a death draft, you wouldn't expect him to die to be made an example of. And you wouldn't expect that he'd be necessarily the first to go. But if Elliot, if we knew that Elliot were going to kill the members of F Society, he's absolutely the first one I think Elliot would kill. He's the one that Elliot has had the biggest problem with. So the fact that he's the first one to go, if you're, if you're calling him the first one and that Gideon is also gone, who directly threatened Elliot uh, last episode, I think that all signs are pointing to Elliot is involved with this. I think there could easily be a swerve, but I do think that's the path we're being led down. Yeah, it feels that way, which is which is dark. Uh, it's dark. Maybe dark army as well. Who knows? That's also something that people are suspecting here. Yeah. Uh, but definitely grim stuff. Anything else on Romero's death before we move on? No, we'll we you know there we'll just we'll talk it through more. We'll yeah. talk it through more when we go back to the site. Uh, what what evidence there may be? What the connections may be? If there's anything troubling uh, about everything that's left with the Romero kind of involvement, we do go back to the site twice more in this episode. So we'll get into that when we get to it this is the first of a couple of interesting scenes with ray the craig robinson character um acting independently of elliot and elliot's world at least as far as we know this first scene he's sitting down he's eating you know his breakfast he's got eggs there is uh, a machine there's a lot of pills uh we learn later in the episode that ray does dialysis he hooks himself up to a machine he is talking to somebody it Seems like it's his wife. No one is responding. It's a very kind of eerie thing. We will find out later in the episode that Ray speaks to his wife every morning, despite the fact that she has been dead for five years. For more than five years, in fact. I believe it's five years, seven months, three weeks, and two days. Um very interesting note for this character. Yeah, uh, and kind of a scary one at first when he talks it through later as you're talking about. It's a little less concerning. I think when we first see it and you don't really know that he's aware of the problem, uh, or not the problem, just he's aware that it's a little weird, uh, it really reads very weird. The dialysis machine also reads kind of weird. Josh, what color were those roses that he was talking about? Were those yellow or white? 
yellow it looked to me you're thinking white are you thinking these are a sign of white rose perhaps no no i'm not thinking that they're white i think that a lot of people are wondering uh whether those were yellow or white roses uh i think that there of course are different meanings yellow roses are kind of a friendship uh you know a cheery kind of meaning if you you know red rose obviously is more of a kind of romantic or love-based thing but a yellow rose is like a very a much more kind of cheery upbeat general wish uh kind of happiness kind of rose uh i think there's a there's a song called 18 yellow roses which i think there's also a meaning where if you want to send somebody 18 yellow roses uh maybe there's some meaning to that like uh hey it's about uh a good wish for marriage somebody's getting married a daughter's getting married or a child is getting married so there are meanings believe it or not depending on what color flowers you send josh this is the world we live in so i think the color of roses might be significant the story he tells is also that small business owners are going out of business because of the five nine hack so we again hear about the collateral damage of the five nine hack we saw romero's mom on the phone getting having problems with her bank account and not being able to auto pay her bills because of the five nine hack i think a large theme that we're seeing develop throughout the course of this season is that elliot really wanted to help people with the five nine hack but all we've seen so far is the harm that it's causing people including as ray is talking about in the background of this scene small business owners local florists who not only cannot get their flower deliveries but no one who has any kind of cash to spend on a daily basis and it sounds like cash is being rationed yeah, spending it on flowers an, yeah an allowance to 50 dollars a day yeah so there's a run on cash people can't spend uh, electronic money anymore so it sounds like cash is being rationed out uh and they're not spending it on flowers so the five nine hack has caused damage to a lot of normal people that i think elliot was hoping to make their lives better and I think that's a, you know, that's a no good deed goes unpunished or the best laid plans kind of thing. Uh, that road to hell is paved with good intentions. All these aphorisms that exist that talk about when you try to do something good, uh, something bad can result. I think we're seeing a lot of that. I think that's a major theme of this season of Mr. Robot for sure. Oh, yeah, 100%. And that's, that, that adds to the guilt of Elliot. Oh, yeah. No, we've been living in that world, and I think that that is a huge part of the reason why Elliot is uh, at least emotionally isolating himself, if not physically isolating himself. We've certainly talked through all of the theories about, is Elliot actually where we are being led to believe that he is as it's being presented, or is he somewhere else? Has he created some sort of illusory world for himself? But I think either way, in, in either event, Elliot is very clearly shutting himself himself off from that situation and trying to fight back against Mr. Robot uh, because of a lot of the guilt of how this world has been transformed. And I think in this episode specifically, stemming from the death of somebody who was close to him. Yeah. And even before that, he, you know, Tyrell recognizes it on the phone. He says, you know, you're not having second thoughts, are you? And right. it's, that is absolutely, there's a lot of that that's happening. Uh, we've seen that coming out of Elliot kind of throughout the course of everything that's happened since the hack. So, so here we are kind of living in that world, and you're right, whether or not it's an illusion or whether it's real, the point of kind of the prison that Elliot has either put himself in or exists in uh, is that he's trying to control those kind of outside things from coming in. And it's funny because the next scene, of course, we see Leon giving Elliot drugs, and Leon asks Elliot, what problem are you trying to solve? Right. Yeah, yeah. and Elliot gets into the emotional aspects of what's going on. Well, he says to us, how yeah. do I tell him that somebody I cared about died? Right. Uh, something he is not willing to voice out loud, but he's at least comfortable enough with us to confide in that information. 
Yeah, and this is not morphine, of course. It is Adderall. Elliot's talking about how it's time to essentially cause what the episode is called, what we've really kind of talked about, uh, which is the Colonel Panic. Uh, not private panic. Not private panic. I think Colonel Panic may not be something that uh, everybody has heard of or experienced. But, Josh, I think if you think about Colonel Panic by one of its other names, which is the blue screen of death, I ah. think other people do know what a Colonel Panic is. This is some kind of internal fatal error in an operating Colonel system Panic really earned that nickname on the battlefield he really know? did yes he really he, did i don't even know what he did no he earned a blue screen of courage yeah yes. uh, that is absolutely what happened no that is uh that's a when your os just kills itself because right. it can't run and it sounds to me like that's what elliot's gonna do he's trying to od on adderall to essentially break his system to get rid of mr robot that's it's all it's reading to me like a suicide attempt yet again josh well, it's certainly an attempt to kill Mr. Robot. I don't know if it's an attempt to kill himself. Um, that wasn't how I read it. You think that this is Elliot trying to get rid of himself. Well, he talks about wanting to overdose. He says, like, you know, this is this is kind of what's happening and that you have to overdose to, to really get rid of him, and that's the only real way to do it. Uh, and it sounds like he's saying, my plan is to overdose to kill and control Mr. Robot. Uh, and that is ultimately what is, is stopped. I mean... His his mouth is being filled up with cement. He is his throat is going to be closed up. Uh, but Mr. Robot kind of stops that and inter, inter, intervenes again. You know, we'll we'll talk about that and where that reads on the spectrum of chaos for Mr. Robot. But I do think that this. I mean, that's how I read it. I read it as Elliot wanting to cause a fatal error. The word fatal there does mean fatal. I think, uh, and ultimately end Mr. Robot by ending his own life. We we know the the rail push at the end of episode two reads like that elliot does jump out the window in his own house at uh, in some point in episode eight uh so there are other of these attempts throughout the course of the series a lot of people have speculated josh that elliot may be in some kind of institution or something because he actually shot himself in the head we talked about that last podcast as well and that mr robot figuratively shooting elliot in the head reads like elliot actually having shot himself in the head at some point so there are a lot of kind of, I think, uh, like o- overt references to this sort of thing. I read that as a suicide attempt in, in, the, in the long span of many on this show that we've seen from Elliot. He takes like 10 pills. Yes. Right in front of Mr. I think, Robot. I think it's nine. I think he takes nine pills. And just when you think he's done, like he pops another. It just doesn't stop. Yeah. And like looking Mr. Robot in the eye while he's doing it, like locking eyes with him and really just attempting to do that, like just to get rid of him. Uh, it, you can basically have, I think, uh, like toxic kind of systems uh, shut down uh, from an Adderall overdose. I'm not sure if it's something that shuts down your central nervous system. I think ultimately you can have your hallucinations and panic from this sort of thing. I do think that your gastrointestinal system and cardiovascular system can shut down. Yeah, I mean I do think that you can can have a fatal dose of Adderall. I'm sure of it. So I do think that this might have been what Elliot was trying to do. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's you know it's a really terrible thing. It's a really creepy scene. The way that Rami Malek is just like staring down Christian Slater. Really great stuff from him. Again, worth mentioning. We hadn't really mentioned this yet, but uh, in the time between recording podcasts, the premiere podcast and this podcast, that Mr. Robot became nominated for a slew of Emmy awards, plenty of Emmys, including Rami Malek up for uh, best actor at the Emmys and the show itself up for best drama. So that's cool. That's good stuff. Yeah, uh, especially on a show where, you know, characters are at least trying to cause a really heavy system stress, if not kill themselves, uh, by taking Adderall, a dark show, not the easiest show. I'd love to hear Elliot, like, giving us voiceover about the Emmy nomination, because you know he wouldn't be impressed. No, he wouldn't. You know, he, and he would probably rant about awards uh, and rant about the, the the lack of kind of originality uh, in TV kind of analysis. Uh, he probably wouldn't be happy about this podcast, Josh. No, no. He would not be here for post-show recaps. No, but he would probably talk about post-show recaps in the spectrum, the things that people do in order to get through their daily lives. And actually, later in the episode, he's accepting that maybe that's what you're supposed to do. Maybe Maybe you do struggle against the darkness and you don't always know what you're doing on a day-to-day kind of basis, but that you fill those gaps and you try your best and maybe that's all you can ask for. Ask for. I think that's a worldview that Elliot could do well to embrace because all he sees is darkness. He never really does seem to kind of uh, struggle or kind of step towards the light with the Adderall that he kind of induces in his system or puts himself into in this scenario. He gets to a lot of happiness. It's very fleeting and it's a jump to happiness. It's literally a skip to happiness as we see. It is not a kind of just a step and a struggle and a fight for that. So I think he'd do well to kind of put himself in a position where he was doing things to entertain himself like I do, listening to podcasts, things like that on a daily basis, the things we all do uh, that that Elliot kind of rails against, but that probably he needs to embrace uh, to be happier. So I think that that's fascinating. I don't know if he was trying to kill himself here on Adderall. I don't know what size those pills were, whether they were 2.5 milligrams, uh, higher than that but he's taking a lot it almost has an immediate impact because he turns the corner and the observers are there the observers are there the observers capture elliot they pour cement down his throat very uh you know sinister looking scene feels like a spy movie more than it feels like mr robot none of that's real that is all fake this is all an illusion that aspect of it elliot you know, comes to and he has his own hand down his throat and he is barfing up the pills. And it is Mr. Robot who is standing nearby or sitting nearby, rather, drawing on something. It seems like he is scribbling, scribbling away. Um, and when he turns to him, he says, I have burrowed beneath your brain. I have nested there. I am the scream in your mind. You will cooperate, my son. I will make you because I own you. Earlier in the episode, Elliot talks about how panic and overwhelming fear is burrowing its way underneath my brain, making its way at home, nesting, screaming in my mind. Mr. Robot has been accessing Elliot's inner monologue to us, his friend, the viewer. He has been pulling quotes. He's been challenging Elliot on that stuff throughout the season so far. And here he is directly lifting quotes from Elliot's monologue and throwing them back in Elliot's face. Yeah, and I think it's great because he's also journaling. Uh, He's got a shovel in the scene, which, you know, there is a direct kind of link to the shovel that was pouring the cement down his throat. So there is a kind of a mix. It's a tool for burrowing, perhaps. Yes, it is a tool for burrowing as well. The red wheelbarrow brought the cement in. We've seen the red wheelbarrow kind of journal that was on the front of Elliot's journal. We talked about the poem uh, by William Carlos Williams, the red wheelbarrow 
one of these weird kind of structural poems that are out there. So uh, we saw the red wagon that Hot Carla was using. This has been a kind of present and lingering motif throughout. And here we have Mr. Robot kind of encouraging Elliot to throw up these pills. And Josh, so gross, Elliot's response to this, to get the pills out of his own puke and put them back in his mouth. Yeah, no, he just like, it's so gross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what? I want to like, talk to the props department. I want to talk to the people that made that. It looks like, is it oatmeal cream or something? Cream of wheat, I think, cream yeah. Cream of wheat. It's just so I'm, nasty. I love it's, cream of wheat, but I'm not eating it for a while. No. Semolina. That is semolina, Josh, for sure. Oh, it's a, it's a shameolina because <laughs> I love semolina. It's so gross. Oh, yeah. it's disgusting. And he says, you know, Elliot, he chokes those quote-unquote shitty pills back into his system, and he looks Mr. Robot in the eye and says, I will not be owned. Yeah, and I think those are higher doses of Adderall. Like I was saying, I've, I've only seen Adderall in blue pill form. Those are like big old peach pills. I think those pills are really higher doses of Adderall. Like you said, we don't know exactly how many he takes. We see him take a big bag full throughout this episode. Uh, but yeah, this is his really at war with himself, ultimately. And trying to control it through meds, we have speculated if Elliot is institutionalized. Where are the meds? Where are the meds? Uh, where are the meds? Where are the meds? We don't know. But uh, They're in the puke. Yeah, he's medicating self-medicating like a lot a lot of people do uh, to try to control what's going on here not great not a good scene uh, mr robot has this weird heisenberg hat on i don't know where he picked that up it's not his traditional mr robot hat uh so there's there's that and like i said the shovel it's it's terrifying i mean this is a really harrowing scene coming off the heels of that cement shoveling scene especially no, it's disgusting. Yeah, it is disgusting. <laughs> really I gross. will not be owned. I will literally eat shitty pills out of my own puke to control you. Oh, it's so gross. But the music, too, paired with it, you know, how it like, gets all bright and bubbly in the moment where he is puking his guts out. Ah. And then it gets all bright and bubbly again as soon as he is rifling through them and eating the pills. Uh, it's just like this amazing miracle music that's Th- going on. Thank you for reminding me. That is actually the music from The Truman Show. Oh, really? Yes, that is uh, original... Uh, original score from Truman Show. Wow, uh, which of course, that? you know, no spoilers, but the Truman Show is kind of about an illusionary world. Uh, that is literally a spoiler. Yes, well, I mean, that's... You're spoiling the premise of the film. The premise of the film, which yeah. is not like it's revealed at the very end. No. Right? We know about the premise throughout the Truman Show, right? Absolutely. Yes. And also, it is an old movie, and I'm not concerned about spoiling it. Yeah, the, the word show. show is right there in the title. <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah, that's about a man fighting to control his illusionary world, fighting to break free of his illusionary world once he realizes that he may be able to do that. So, uh, you know, nothing in this show is here on accident, like we've said. But even the subtext of this show, even the song choices, uh, they all kind of add general color. There's another big one uh, coming up that we'll talk about uh, that, that you know connects to a Christian slave film but yeah this is truman show music uh that's great yeah. i like that did not even know that but it's just it's beautifully used here the scene is so gross it's really great it is not the best elliot scene of the episode but it is still a really really strong scene yes um all right let's move over to e-corp let's go to philip price's office where as we already mentioned before angela really doesn't seem that broken up about gideon's death though she says that she is yeah, uh, she's not. Uh, I got news for you. She's she may be very deep down. She seems to be keeping a lot kind of under control with these affirmations, uh, and it's it remains to be seen what kind of darkness or what kind of emotion she's keeping at bay by sort of kind of self brainwashing into this state. But yeah, she doesn't seem very broken up over Gideon at all. 
No. And if she is, the greatest cure for any kind of heartache would be Semifredo from Fidelio's. Yes, uh, I've heard great things. Apparently, it is the best. You have not had Semifredo until you've had it at Fidelio's. Have you, Josh? Have you had Semifredo at Fidelio's? No, I tried to see if Fidelio's is a real thing. I found a Fidelio's. Uh, I don't think it used to be a dive bar. I don't know if it's the same place. It looks kind of similar. Uh, if you look up the restaurant Fidelia's, I believe it's on the upper west side in New York City. Uh, yeah, it's on uh, 58th and, oh, it's east, upper east, 59th and 2nd Avenue. Um, it looks, based on the restaurant, it looks similar to the interior of the episode. I don't know if it is actually the same place. I did not see see any semi-fredo on the menu. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and say that this place is an illusion. Fidelio's well, is an illusion. Well, it is interesting only in that uh, the the really kind of con- the loose connection is that Fidelio is the sort of secret password in Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut, a film mm. that we have referenced a lot on this podcast when we talk about the Golden Coast and the up, upper 1% of the 1% kind of secret meetings between people like White Rose and Philip Price. Uh, there is an Eyes Wide Shut kind of feel to that. Yes. Uh, we've used kind of music from Eyes Wide Shut on this show, and so this is another kind of connection. Yeah, very interesting stuff there. Not the only interesting thing that happens in this episode, Antonio. No, not at all. Tell me more, Josh. What else is interesting that's happened? Well, there is something in this very office of Philip Price's that Angela seems fixated on it is a uh, an old newspaper article that is framed in the office that is depicting the assassination of one archduke franz ferdinand uh antonio this is completely out of nowhere here on the post show recaps podcast yeah have we ever mentioned that before josh no certainly i haven't have you i i I, it seemed to remember that maybe i have yeah maybe you have in case you guys have forgotten here is a little clip of antonio talking on the podcast last week about this very topic. Elliot has essentially touched a person who was already touched by setting the 5-9 hack in motion. This is the kind of crazy that gets set off in the world, and this is all on Elliot, ultimately, directly. And whether or not all the stuff at all save Elliot's carrying that around, he's going to have to carry this around if he finds out about it, because this person was set off by the 5-9 hacks and what they did when they saw the opportunity. And whether you want to call it a Gavrilo Prince kind of coincidence where he just happened to have a gun and see somebody that he wanted to kill. Uh, this is a World War I kind of touch-off. Uh, or whether you want to say that this guy was there because somebody told him to be there. Gideon is dead. Elliot's either directly or indirectly responsible. Terrible thing, Josh. I'm so sad I won the death draft. Whoa, listen to that. You're gonna How make, about that? You're going to make me say it, aren't you? You're the prophet. You're the prophet. <laughs> I was it's only you. supposed to be your prophet, Josh. You're supposed to be my guy. I'm supposed to be your good. Good, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. good job to you, Antonio, predicting the use of Franz Ferdinand's assassination here on Mr. Robot one week in advance. Nobody expects the black hand, Josh. Yeah, this no. is uh, this is weird. I had to pause the episode while I was watching last night because I got a little rattled and freaked out because I remembered this weird kind of incident that is considered one of the greatest coincidences and most dangerous or most inflammatory coincidences in world history, which is this Gavrilo Princip incident, the assassination 
mention of Archduke Franz Ferdinand that Philip Price seems to be obsessed with. We open and transition into Philip Price's office with a sort of comedic map of Europe in 1914. Uh, 1914, the year being uh, that, that, that Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. And then the Angela and Philip Price scene ends with Angela sort of admiring a front page of a newspaper that has a lithograph or a picture of that assassination. And Angela is observing, you know, admiring it. And Philip Price says, you know, I, I've noticed you always admiring that, you know, man can change the world with a bullet in the right place. Right. I, look, there's a lot of connections between that and the show. The Gideon assassination did make me think of that because that coincidence, the Gavrilo Prince of coincidence, they had set out kind of to cause harm and damage to Franz Ferdinand that day. The assassination attempt was thwarted. Uh, somebody threw a grenade at the Archduke. He kind of swatted it away uh, and people were harmed, but nobody was killed or anything. And Franz Ferdinand, the, the parade was called off. All the conspirators had to kind of scatter away and then he was later that day deciding he was going to go visit some of the people that were injured in the hospital and his driver was taking him there his driver took a wrong turn down a road that happened to lead him past a bar where one of these assassins Gavrilo Princip was drowning his sorrows essentially and as the car went past the bar the driver realized he'd gone the wrong way and he put the car in reverse to turn around the car stalled just as Gavrilo Princip is recognizing that it's Franz Ferdinand pulls his gun out shoots and kills the Archduke and I think his wife, and essentially starts the bloodiest war in world in world history. Changes the world. Changes the absolute world. Uh, changes the world. Leads to World War One. Leads to an armistice, which is just a pause button that leads to World War Two. Uh, creates the European Union. Eventually, does all these crazy things that happen as a result of this one bullet. And certainly, there's a lot of connections between that and what's happened with F society. Sure, I, you know, I, Elliot delivering the bullet to the right place. You know, kind of doing the the hacker equivalent of luke skywalker just like getting into the right spot on the death star and blowing that thing up although we've seen that e-corp has not fallen yet they are still hanging on i think that elliot is the very easy person to link this to but could this be something that is on angela's mind as well is angela in the right place with the bullet is angela the person who is in the belly of the beast here at e-corp in a position to possibly change the world. Yeah, and I think it's a very valid question. We've had a lot of questions emailed to us this week. Uh, you can always connect with us on, uh, you know, on post show recaps. You can go to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. Josh, we also have a new email address for this podcast. Is that right? Yes, we do. Mr. Robot at postshowrecaps.com. So you can send emails in that yes, way. Yes, and people well. have done that. People have contacted us. A lot of people are asking about Angela. Uh, we had a question from Dominic. Do you think price is testing Angela. Any parallels to how Elliot tested F Society? We had an email from Chris Eden. Chris asked, ultimately, her motivation continues to be murky. It sure seems as if she wants to go to this dinner. Uh, and it, was she planning to get closer to Philip Price for nefarious reasons? Is she getting power hungry and trying to latch on to him to get ahead? We're going to get into the dinner of it all, Josh, but Angela is a major kind of question mark character at this point, and I think a lot of people want to know what's going on with Angela, and I think you really, uh, the, the con and confidence connection you made on our last podcast is the one that's most fascinating to me, because she pushes back against Philip Price in this scene with confidence. Philip Price yeah. 
wants to change the interview that we saw Angela struggling to set up last episode with Bloomberg. And Philip Price wants to go off the rails and do something completely different. And Angela pushes back against him. And his response to that is basically to invite her to dinner, then to compliment her and say she's right about that, then to comment on the World War I connection. There's some weird stuff going on with Angela for sure. It's a strange push and pull relationship between Angela and Philip Price. Um, you know, I got the chance for the day job for Hollywood Reporter where I'm covering Mr. Robot. I got the chance to interview Portia Doubleday who plays Angela. We talked at length about this dynamic between these two characters. And obviously with a show like this, difficult to talk to any of these actors without them, you know, spoiling something or, you know, that's probably on there and they're trying really hard not to give too much away. But I thought that she did a really good job of kind of talking through the possibilities of where Angela is right now without saying definitively one way or the other whether she's part of some sort of con whether she is hoping to do something here internally within e-corp or has she been truly transformed she talked about the affirmations that Angela says to herself as a form of reprogramming uh, sort of self brainwashing she talked about the scenes with Philip Price as being kind of seduced by what Philip Price has, but also spoke about the fact that Angel really did say in season one, I have an idea that's going to change the world. Uh, Portia Doubleday said, I think she's still motivated by the idea that if she's able to own and understand this environment, she'll be able to slip in somehow and make the changes that will alter this company for the better. Um, whether or not she'll have to make terrible decisions along the way, I think that's how you get slowly compromised without knowing it, without understanding what's happening to you, even when you feel you have so much control. So I think that Angela, you know, these words that Ray speaks to Elliot at the end of the episode about the fall and how you just have to stumble forward and that's really how it is in life. I feel like Angela is doing that exact thing. Um, I don't know that Angela has a very decisive, calculated plan of how she is going to move ahead in E-Corp, if she's going to take these people down, how she's going to do it. I think that she's really going through the dark and trying to put on a brave face here and what she finds at the other side of the tunnel. I think that's going to be really fascinating to see. Yeah, I mean, not for nothing, Josh. Semifredo, literally in Italian, translates to half cold. Right. Yeah, and so that is kind of what we're seeing from Angela is it's not 100% clear. I think your interview with her was fantastic. I highly recommend that anybody who is interested in this podcast check that out because I think she does a really great job of sort of breaking down what her thinking is in this moment and in the early episodes of this season, kind of portraying Angela as you're talking about. And I think that we see that sort of playing out throughout the course of not only this episode, but the last episode and this kind of weird path that she's on my speculation and i and we'll get into this when we get into the dinner but my speculation is that she's really kind of being primed uh that price is really really digging his hooks into her and i'm a little worried what he's going to want her to do once he creates a, a, an angela who can act without emotion uh that's right. the, the really dangerous thing because we have speculated in the past on this podcast that it's perhaps possible that the real connection with angela is her connection to elliot and that she's going right. to be weaponized against elliot and I think that's the thing I'm most concerned about. Once you, once you train Angela, once you teach her to shut off that emotion and act without emotion, she can be weaponized and used against Elliot. And that's the big concern yeah. for me. 
Yeah, it's frightening. Scary stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to another character. Dom DiPiero is going to have a bigger role in this episode than she did in the premiere. She likes to hang out with her uh, her digital buddy Alexa yeah. at four in the morning. That's just how she rolls. Yeah, and I think it's great because she has her cell phone in her hand. She could clearly look at what time it was on her phone. But Alexa is kind of her friend. Like, that's a person that she talks to. We don't see her interacting at home with other people. Um, I think that that's no that's not an accident it's not an accident that she had the time in her hand but asked a machine for the time i also think it's not an accident that it's alexa i think there's a lot of concerns about having a microphone in your house that's always on and connected to the internet uh whether that can be hacked or used against you or not it wouldn't shock me to see this come into play later in the season this alexa no, absolutely not. But I think that even, you know, moving away from it on a story level, I think that that's a great uh, flag to plant right now, that that could be something that could be turned against Dom or something that is already being used against her. Um, I just think that it speaks to what we saw with Susan Jacobs in the yes. premiere, that her entire yes. house is super, super connected. And these people are all so dependent on their technology. As are we, as are many of us, you know, it's a very much a reflection on uh, on modern times. I don't know how many of us have Alexas in our homes or anything like that, but there are a lot of characters on this show and a lot of people in the world that are so, so connected. And what happens when those connections turn out to be hollow? Do yes. they stay? <laughs> uh, and I think that that is something that we are exploring for sure here. And I think Alexa is another avenue into that idea. Yeah, and it also just plays on the loneliness factor. I think that, I mean, I, I almost bought Alexa on Prime Day. I'll, I'll, I'm not giving Amazon a plug here, but I, I mean, I really was interested in that. Mr. Robot is available exclusively to stream on Amazon. This could easily be product placement, which is fascinating in a world like Mr. Robot, which is creating this kind of anti-corporatist sort of vibe uh, to have a, a very clearly Amazon branded product, one of their partners in the show. And right. yet I think it does provide a good character note as well in that she really does treat, she asks Alexa existential questions uh, after she's unable to climax later in the episode. Like this is uh, somebody that she has a yeah, kind she of... she wants to find out about the climax of the world. Yes, she does. She's very curious about that. That's, when will the world climax? Yes, exactly. Which is a tough question to answer, Josh. There's a lot of difficult things that go into play there but yes. yeah this is a this is an interesting kind of character almost the movie her is centered around this plot where people kind of get in relationships with ai i'm just spoiling movie plots left and right josh yeah but i don't know what you're doing here yeah i don't know sorry guys uh but yeah this is uh this is ultimately like a thing this is a thing in the modern world for a show that talks about tech issues whether it's madam executioner's smart house or alexa i think that this is a sort of a really kind of subtle fascinating way to look at this i'm also really interested josh we see her getting ready kind of and we we hear the highwayman song play uh by the highwayman and then she tells alexa to stop playing the music she keeps her badge in a safe in her house yeah it's like nobody come in here and steal my badge we later see that he, she keeps that cell phone in her safe as well. Did you read this as like some kind of FBI security or is this paranoia or what's going on with this personal safe she's got at home? I don't have a good theory about this, but obviously something is up with DiPiero. I mean, she's going to go to Romero's. She is going to talk to the sneezy agent. That guy might be private panic after. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Know, get the Z pack at least. Come on, guy. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're wearing gloves, if you sneeze all over the evidence. 
Uh, you know, she talks to that guy, and she's looking at these, you know, these three printed pages of FBI roster information. Um, it's all this contact information for FBI agents. DiPiero says that, you know, thousands of FBI agents' information, uh, it was leaked months ago. Every hacker has this. She seems pretty nonchalant, but we'll see later in the episode. I think that she's pretty troubled at the inclusion of her name yes. there. Um, why? Why is she so interested in F Society? Why is she so interested in what's going on here? Is it because it's purely part of her job? Or is there more to her? Does she have another story? I would assume probably. You know, otherwise, why are we introducing this character into the mix? There's got to be something going on with her. But she does seem to be, in an episode that is all about paranoia, she definitely seems to be pretty paranoid about this information being out there. And I think it's a good observation of the badge being locked away, um, the phone being locked away. Does she have some other contact? Does she have some other connection? She had some other things in there that said December and June. I paused and looked at kind of the screen. I don't know if they were computer drives. I don't know what they were, but they were labeled December and June. So maybe that has to do with the observers again. Maybe September was in that stack, Josh. I don't know. But no, legitimately, she's scared of this guy's virus. Is that a computer virus? Like there are all these things. She's also kind of seemingly pretty good at her job. Not only in this scene, does she know before the, the hard drive kind of catches fire that it was a dumb idea for them to be playing with Romero's computer before checking if it had been kind of set to self-destruct. Uh, but it does, and she knows that. She knows that they're screw-ups. She's kind of putting these people in their place. She seems to be good at her job, but also seems to be kind of full of some kind of, I don't know if it's ennui or sadness or boredom. Some of the same things I think that Elliot and other people have kind of touched on uh, that other characters we've seen have suffered from. She's carrying on online relationships instead of you know human contact. So she is a perfect citizen of the world that this show has built. Uh, already a great yeah. character, almost a Emerging kind of fully formed uh, without, you know, we knew she liked lollipops and turkey sandwiches last episode, Josh. I think we find out a lot more about her emotional state this episode, and I think it's great. Yeah, no, I think it's really good, too. Uh, we also, I mean, before we leave this scene, we see uh, that Romero had modified some of the ports on his computer as soon as yeah. Dom points that out the computer blows up uh you know that could just be she's really good at her job and she would know not to screw that up but she certainly knows that that's a possibility and then just like that magic it blows up um so she's good she's got a she's got a sharp eye for sure yeah and they said you know there was a little detail that was snuck out in this scene where the detective the sneezy sneezy cop uh, private panic says basically hey we contacted every agent in the city you're the first one to respond right. so she is dogged as well she She's got this kind of connection or she feels personally connected. We also see she's personable. She sort of does the social engineering hack and gets her way into Mobley's mom's house the second time. So with the promise of a bomb joint. Yeah, rolling a fatty. This is great. Uh, So she's got a lot going on. And uh, I think this is a great character that's kind of emerged from nowhere and is already really popping up the screen for me uh, three, three episodes in. It's nice to see another familiar face on the show as we see Trenton for the first time this season. You know, the only other F Society, core F Society person that we hadn't seen this season. Uh, We go to Trenton's house. Mobley and Darlene are there really to kind of break down what had happened to Romero. Uh, Mobley thinks that this is Dark Army. Darlene doesn't really want to talk about it in front of Trenton because Trenton has kind of backed out of F Society. Trenton doesn't like hijinks. Darlene says these 
these hijinks are killing public confidence in E Corp, so this is good. And she also says this is not the Dark Army. Uh, they did not know who Romero was. They don't know who the two of you are. They only communicate through me, and I didn't tell them anything. And Mobley is the guy who says, you're not the only person they've talked to. Clearly talking about Elliot. Darlene says he wouldn't do that. Mobley says the state Elliot's in? That's interesting. You know, when we're talking through the possibility that Elliot, we know that Elliot is an unstable individual. That is very, very front and center on the show, has been from the very beginning and has only gotten worse the deeper that we've gotten into Mr. Robot. But if we are looking at that possibility that Elliot is not where he claims to be, is he in a facility? Is he incarcerated somehow? Is something else going on with Elliot? Mobley saying with the state that Elliot's in, at the very least, Mobley is aware that Elliot is in a real bad place, and that might also physically be a bad place. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, it really, this is where this, you know, we're really getting the kind of meat of... He also calls him uh, crazy at one yeah, point in this, and, and in this very scene. We earlier had seen the scene on the train between Darlene and Mobley. Uh, we didn't really talk about it, but it is the scene where where Darlene kind of is, is not in the scene. Mobley is seeing some cops, and then Mobley has informed Darlene that Romero is dead. Darlene's big concern in that scene seems to be that Mobley was witnessed at the scene by Mobley's right. mom or by, by Romero's mom. So I don't know if Darlene's really on the level either. Like it, we know that Elliot is crazy and there's some concern about Elliot's crazy from Mobley. We hear it in this scene. We hear it after Darlene leaves, as you're saying, we hear him use the word crazy as you're saying, but I think we also know that Darlene is really kind of focused on let's cover up the trail. Uh, and I'm not sure if Darlene, really on the level i think there's some very if you think back to like when we saw darlene in the premiere like the only time that she is alone is her just destroyed in the bathroom crying to herself obviously super super affected about something uh we speculated is it because she knows where elliot really is or what elliot is going through right now but it could be like a heavy lies the crown sort of thing where she is in this shot collar position and potentially is calling actual shots yeah, on not some to human mention, beings. Not for nothing, she gives that George W. Bush speech in the first episode, and in that episode she says, they're shooting us in the head. Right. They're picking us off one by one. As far as I know, that hadn't really happened yet in the context of what was going on with F Society. It definitely happens in this episode. Yeah. So whether or not she manifested that sort of subconsciously and somebody else did this to Romero or whether or not Darlene was involved with this as a way to sort of cement her cause. If you'll recall, she wasn't happy that Mobley or that Romero didn't show up the first time. She said they were always half in as it was. And so it's entirely possible that it isn't Elliot, but it's actually Darlene who's closing up these loose ends. And I think that that's the fascinating part of what's going on. Caleb from Atlanta had emailed in and said, who do we think is behind these murders and who do we think will die next? If Darlene is behind behind them i'm thinking mobley and trenton better watch their backs yeah watch out especially because dom is on uh, dj mobley's trail as well i think that he's the hot character right now i think if we're looking uh That's- to see if the trend continues if a major character dies in every episode this season or at least in three episodes in a row he would be the number one suspect on the board for me right yeah now. i'm hoped you're getting mobley lined up for the hollywood reporter josh <laughs> his- i would not i do not know and i would not say if that were for the his case. death interview yeah i'm a no. little i'm 
I'm very concerned for our boy, Josh. For what it's worth, I don't find out who I am interviewing until very close to the interview, so I will not know who I'm talking to next week until basically go. To okay. Me. Well, this. I mean, it would no spoilers. Spoiler. Wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me just because of the fact that he is. You know, he's. He's here. He is one of the F Society people. If F Society is being hunted down, then Mobley would be a very, you know, likely candidate to be killed of the people who are left. It's not going to be Elliot. It probably won't be Darlene this early on. That would be absolutely massive. Trenton and Mobley are really the two people that I'd be the most concerned about. And the fact that he is also on the FBI's radar, or at least on DPRO's radar, definitely suggests that there's going to be some heavy Mobley action, and that could be very bad. That could be very, very bad. Yeah, and the uh, the flip side is also bad. Uh, we had a tweet from uh, Chris Christian Reinholdt who wanted us to talk about how Darlene channels Lucille Bluth in this scene, Josh, when she looks down upon Mobley's choice to go to Phoenix. Yeah. Lucille Bluth's like, famous quote, I'd rather be dead in California than alive in Arizona. Yes, and it seems like Darlene subscribes to that philosophy. Yeah, and I mean this is uh, this is this is just all like I I think we're focusing a lot on the state Elliot is in, as Mobley calls it, the fact that he's crazy, us wondering if he's committed, us wondering the interactions between Darlene and Elliot. She does promise she's going to speak to Elliot, so I think that's something for us all to look forward to. But I think while we're focusing on Elliot, I think we should be very much considering what might be up with Darlene. Again, one of the fascinating things about this show for me is that there wasn't just one person affected by the toxic sludge incident uh, in New Jersey that created Elliot and that created the Mr. Robot problem. There was also Angela and there was also Darlene. Yeah. And what that looks like for Darlene, the fact that we've, that we've heard Angela say, Elliot is fine until you show back up, that we've seen Darlene in, this first, in these first three episodes – Set up the $5.9 million fire, set up the smart home hack, doing the George W. Bush speech that she's saying is just words, but then the words she's saying are coming true. I don't know, man. I'm a little concerned that Darlene might be closing up loose ends here. I think that's interesting. It doesn't seem like the Darlene that we saw in season one would be into that. No, but this is the Darlark army. Yeah, no, I mean, we are we are a month removed from the 5-9 hack, and the world is the way it is right now, and that could be a character who is willing to do some of this stuff. I think another, maybe another suspect that we need to consider is, like, some X-Factor, somebody who we haven't met, or somebody who we are just meeting, and that takes us to... Our next scene of the episode is, once again, one of these scenes where Ray, Craig Robinson's character, is showing up independently of Elliot. The big theory being, is he some sort of counselor? Is he somebody who is working at whatever facility that Elliot could be at? Or just somebody who could help rehabilitate Elliot? That, I think, is still on the table. But even if it's on the table, there is something else going on with Ray. He goes to a man's house and starts talking to him about some technology nonsense. This is the exchange between these two guys. Ray says to the man, a lot of life is a balancing act. We're just doing our best. Tightrope walking above that pit of ungodly pain that's daring us to trip up. Take money and health. One isn't very useful without the other. Case in point, even though you've been paid handsomely, the physical condition you're in kind of cancels that out. And I'd like to say up front, I'm very sorry this happened to you. The guys I deal with can be ruthless. Me, I'm more of a positive reinforcement kind of guy. I happen to think it's more productive. Nevertheless, that doesn't change what's been done to you. The person who did this will get proportionate retribution. On that tip, 
I still need you to fix this thing for me. The site's been down way too long. The good news is, once you bring it back up, you will get your money, and in time, God willing, your health, that's all I want to do here. Help put your life back in balance. The man who we see as the camera spins around has been punched in the face or something has happened to him. He does not look good. He certainly looks afraid. His family is in the room. They also look afraid. The man replies and says, they keep emptying the Bitcoin wallets. The server keeps crashing. I don't know how to stop it. I only know basic network security measures. You have to find someone who can migrate the site to another more secure location and set up a system of hot and cold wallets. Please, please, I can't figure it out. And Ray is going to leave. He's not going to be very happy about this. He's going to get into a van with kind of an intimidating-looking fellow behind the wheel. He tells the guy just because you beat a man's face to a pulp doesn't mean he's going to know it. He doesn't. We're not animals. We need to find someone who can do the migration thing he keeps talking about. So, Ray, if he is somebody that is looking to help Elliot authentically, that's possible if that's a job of his. But he's also involved in something shady, very, very shady. And could any of that be connected to what's going on in an attack against F society? Yeah, I mean, entirely possible. First and foremost, we need to observe that the scene that you've so wonderfully kind of recaptured there, his menace as the camera pans around him saying, like essentially apologizing the guy got beat up and then saying there'll be retribution for the guy who did this to you and saying the people I work with are kind of hard. That's all. It seems all a lie to me because he goes out to the van. We know that's the guy who beat him up because he says it is. I don't see any retribution. I don't see anything proportional whatsoever. I see Ray as that guy's boss. Right. And I see this whole thing having played out exactly like Ray wanted it to. And this is a lot of very charming, very slick, very Craig Robinson cast for a reason lip service that is being paid to this guy. And it's especially frightening considering that he seems to be able to get his hooks into Elliot by the end of the episode. And it seems like that guy he needs to migrate a site over and set up these things and work in kind of high-level corporate security. And it is Elliot. It's Elliot, right? That seems to be the purpose that he wants Elliot for. There had been a lot of speculation. Tom Tamillo, I know, emailed us last episode and said, could Elliot have asked Ray to put the hit out on Gideon? Well, it seems like Ray's the one who needs Elliot, not the other way around. And Ray needs Elliot, it sounds like, for some sort of dark, nefarious online purpose that trades in Bitcoin, which a lot of people do in order to avoid tracking. So what is he selling? What is he buying? What is his service that's available online that keeps getting crashed by Bitcoin emptying wallets? I think that remains to be seen, but he's clearly up to no good in some way. I don't think this precludes the fact that he could also be an authority figure in some sort of asylum or kind of uh, uh, institutional setting. I think Chris Eden emailed us and put this pretty eloquently. He wanted to hear our thoughts on the prison asylum theory. There continues to perpetuate, and they continues to perpetuate it while poking some serious holes. Apparently, Ray is delusional as well. And where is his dog? He also seems to have a shady business that requires the occasional beatdown of a low-level computer programmer. Can he do this and also be an authority figure as it admittedly seems like he is at the end of the episode 
And I think the answer is yes. I think he could be in a position of authority in whatever situation he finds himself with Elliot. That looks like an office he finds himself in with Elliot. But I think this scene is a very dark guy. And could he be involved with the taking out of F society? I think it remains to be seen. It's definitely an open question mark. This is a dangerous character we're introducing and especially dangerous because he's got that shark smile and he comes at you with sort of, uh, you know, a really kind of happy, emotional kind of approach that really has success with Elliot in this episode. You know, not for nothing, we're talking about, you know, Ray maybe having one up on Elliot. You know, he is going to get his hands on the journal. He is going to know about the other guy, as Mark Ruffalo would call him. You know, he's going to find out all of these things about Elliot, and he is going to say, like, you know, you want to play chess? Let's talk this through a little bit more. Is he using positive reinforcement to get what he wants? Is it possible that this is what Elliot wants as well, or more specifically that this is what Mr. Robot wants. If we know that Craig Robinson, if we know that Ray is tied into something involving, you know, computers and hacking and requiring Elliot services, is it possible that Mr. Robot or Elliot is exactly where he wants to be because he wants to connect with Ray for some reason that we don't know yet? I mean, it's possible. It is definitely possible. And that Elliot has sort of put himself in this position to, or or the Mr. Robot has kind of massaged this position in order to get at Ray. Entirely possible. Uh, we don't really know. There have been some social engineering that there has been some social engineering that's taken place. Of course, Elliot working at Allsafe was the door that they needed in order to kind of set up the evil core pack. So maybe Ray's access is something else that Elliot wants. Elliot's actually in control, whether he realizes it or not, because Mr. Robot is, we don't know. I think it's very telling in the end scene when Elliot and Ray have that confrontation. Mr. Robot shows up when Ray gets up, but he doesn't say anything. Yeah, right. so I don't know exactly what level is is who which the tail is wagging the dog or is the dog wagging the tail? Uh, is the right. dog being a bloodhound? Some kind of significant fact is is it a therapy animal like we've talked about? I don't know. All I know is Elliot doesn't know either. He hasn't slept in three days. When we see him next, we get into this long sequence. This is the this is the Elliot scene of the episode. I oh, mean, by when far. you see like five Elliots walking in a row, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. He's uh, skipping, Josh. He's skipping, you know, he's skipping around. He is, you know, giving an amen, amen. Uh, he is very excited to see a slam dunk. Yes. He finally figures out basketball. Oh, the ball goes into a hoop, of course. Oh, yeah. I've been so foolish. That's it, duh. You know, he's talking about Seinfeld, classic George. Yes, sitcoms are funnier when you're high as balls. Apparently, and he's also so saying, you know, like Mr. Robot has been gone. Uh, I've been awake for three days and he's gone. And then things shift. Uh, the energy is sucked out. And Elliot says to us, you're not buying any of this either, are you? Turns out it was feeling good for a few days. But this is the fifth day of not sleeping, I think. Fifth, isn't that a funny word? Roads, roads. Uh, and he's saying, you know, the overwhelming fear, it's building, the burrowing, the nesting, the scream, which is how he's described Mr. Robot earlier in this episode. And then things start glitching. The screen starts getting blurry. We start seeing, like, error screens and stuff like that. That, I would assume, is the kernel panic. Yeah, that's the kernel panic. That is absolutely, you know? we see it not only do we see it, we see it kind of written out, and we start seeing kind of visual representations of the breakdown. Uh, it looks like a video that's kind of laggy or having problems loading or compression issues. We see kind of frames being dropped. Leon's 
starts talking backwards, Josh. Even Leon's yes. subtitles are backwards. That's fascinating because if you if you look at the subtitles, it's just literally spelled backwards. I love Mr. Robot, Josh. I love it so much. Leon is also talking about a famous Seinfeld episode that is shown backwards in terms of chronology. It ends with the beginning. George is wearing some Timberlands in the episode. Like things happen in that episode. I also want to point out when Elliot's high, when he's crazy high and Mr. Robot's not around, Leon is. So if Leon is a figment of uh, Elliot's imagination, he's not one that disappears with the Adderall. He also got him the Adderall. He also says, as Elliot's talking fast, Leon does not like it. He doesn't like this Elliot. So I think that that's all really kind of fascinating if you're reading the character of Leon and looking for whether Leon is a figment of his imagination or not. He doesn't go away when he takes the meds, but he doesn't like the meds either, and he's the one who got them for Elliot. So I don't see how all that plays out but ultimately he's speaking backwards we see elliot's eyes looking like the kind of um, apple logo yeah yeah well there's also you know the laundry that's yes. going rolling and rolling and rolling and that just remains in his eyes yeah and looks like a like a computer that is stuck while loading as that laundry is loading uh and we just see all of this playing out and then we get to the sixth day total crash we get gibberish in his journal i'm not sure if that's what mr robot was writing earlier with the shovel and the pork pie hat or not but that's when elliot says at this level i'm reduced to the fact that the panic is not sneaking in it's not showing up it's just here and the scream in my mind is coming back yeah and we are going to see later on in the episode that that scream did not go away that scream is very much still here so whatever attempt this was if you want to call it a suicide attempt or a murder attempt to kill the mr robot side of himself by staying awake forever uh whatever it is it's not working because he's now on the other side of the crash uh and he is starting to come to this inevitable feeling that the scream is coming back. The scream is going to be here. The panic isn't settling in anymore. It's just there. Uh, so let's consider this plan a failure. Yeah, it's totally a failure. And I'm not sure, like I said, the total milligrams, whatever it is, he took the entire pouch in over a six-day span. The half-life of Adderall is only about 10 hours. So I'm not sure, unless you take it all at once, if it's enough to really cause a toxic shock in your body or anything like that. But he's clearly screwed himself up badly. Uh, And I think it was a way to try to seek positive affirmation, whether it was to skip or not. We see ultimately that he's going to crash out. We see Angela seeking positive affirmation in this next scene. Uh, she's kind of affirming herself in the mirror on the way out to what she thinks is a date with Price. We had that question from Chris Eden earlier about whether this was her trying to use her sexuality or what her feeling was when she goes into that room. I don't know how to put a specific thing on it, but she doesn't get what she expected. That's for sure. No, and this is again from the Porsche Doubleday interview where she's saying, I think that she had a different idea of what that dinner was going to be like. I think she thought that maybe he's attracted to her, not necessarily that she's attracted to him in that way, but there is this fine line that we're playing with on both sides. This idea of seduction, that's sort of the operative word that she keeps using is um, Angela's being seduced by price. So clearly this is not what she thought. Um, you know, I don't think that she expected that she was going to be going to dinner with three people. I thought that it was just going to be with the master of the universe. Yeah. Uh, she is surprised to see these other two. And guys. I think it's great in that interview where she talks about how, and I think that, I think that your interview with Rami is the same, uh, where they talk about kind of how they have these long talks with Sam Esmail about the character motivations and on shows, I think that are more, I, I guess there are more voice 
choices, whether it's one director or 10, let's say, uh, or you have a, a really kind of more divided writer's room. I don't think you can always have those kind of in- intimate talks about somebody who has the whole arc of the character in mind. I think this is a great product of Sam at working with the actors directly and really seeing how that all plays out. And I think that it's fascinating to see Angela play this out. I think the way the scene is shot is really evocative of that. Uh, the camera sort of follows her into the room. We see protesters outside the restaurant. We see yes. generally as she's walking through the restaurant. No more semi Fredo. Yes, we want full Fredo or we riot. Uh, <laughs> Fredo no. Baggins. Yes, it was, I know it was you, Fredo. We we just have like an empty restaurant, and then she turns the corner, and the music stops. The music that was playing her way into this scene just almost is like a record scratch because it is not what she expected. I think that's all really well done. Yeah, Philip Price says, "I'm the master of the universe." We see him in a fifty dollars like Skeletor. I would think. I think so, or Man at Arms at least, or Battle Cat. <laughs> yeah, but but definitely not the master of the universe. We see. Yeah, he lives in Castle Grayskull. I think. For sure. Yes, uh, but we so see well. like a $50 in the $50 allowance world. He is splashing cash like crazy, paying for this dinner in an empty restaurant up front. Uh, and this is all what's going on. So I think a, a great setup to this scene. We get taken out of this scene by a, kind of a very awkward transition, I'd say, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, yeah, Alexa, stop. Yeah, Alexa, what's going on here? So we go to DiPiero's apartment, and she's just, you know, doing her thing. It's oh, just, yeah. You know, having a good time. Surfing the internet. Surfing the internet, as you do. No, she is hanging out. I believe her handle is Deep Steep. Uh, and right. she's And she is talking to, quote, unquote, Happy Heart on Henry 806. Yeah, Happy Hard on Henry 806, and they're cybering. Uh, Happy Hard on Henry, Josh, is a reference, uh, kind of, uh, it's a little bit, is it Happy Hard on Henry or Happy Hard on Harry? I believe it's Happy Hard on Henry. Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong about it's that. It's a loose reference to a Christian Slater vehicle called Pump Up the Volume, which is from 1990. It's a film about a high school student who starts a pirate radio station uh, and who lives this kind of high school student life during the day and at night on this pirate radio station. He really is making, you know, ranting about what's wrong with society in a very Elliot-like way. Uh, and speaking these rants about society, uh, people are starting to really buy in. He He's creating this own little group in the world, and his kind of DJ handle is Happy Har- Harry Hardon. Uh, and so Happy Harry Hardon is, or Hard Harry, are his handles there. I think this is a direct kind of connection to that Christian Slater vehicle. I think it's uh, it's interesting. One of the characters in that film is Nora De Niro. Uh, not quite Dom DiPiero, but certainly there are some loose connections for sure. Yeah, so we're wondering, is this somebody we know? Well, you know, is the other person on the other side of the cyber screen, is that a character that we have met before? I mean, you and I are already wondering, is DiPiero connected to this in a way that we are not aware of yet? Is she more ingrained in this world than has been presented so far? It could be through the possibility that she is talking to someone we know. With that Christian Slater reference, are you wondering if this is Elliot on the other side of the Of screen? course, but you know, we know Elliot's trying to live an analog lifestyle. Uh, if he's cheating on that at night with as Mr. Robot, we don't know. We know Mr. Robot. It'd be the right time for oh it. Oh my gosh, the nighttime is the right time. The nighttime is the right yes. time, so I've heard. And, and this is not a fulfilling experience for, uh, for, for Dom DiPiero. This is not something that she is ultimately satisfied with at the end. I don't know if this is someone that she knows or if it's a complete anonymous 
a stranger. I do think uh, a lot remains to be seen. Uh, it could be it could be Elliot, certainly. That is, if you're going to make the loose connection to Christian Slater uh, and a Christian Slater role, especially this sort of anti-society kind of uh, broadcaster, somebody who sends anti-society messages out there. The character in the series who's most like that is Elliot. So that's right. the connection for sure if you want to make that. It could be nobody, but it could be somebody. And that, I think, is the fun of Mr. Robot, these little kind of Easter eggs which may uh, may sprout, they, the eggs may hatch, and they may not. I was wondering about this because I just kind of was thinking, like, who could this be? Like, it's got, like you feel like we're gonna get we're gonna get some sort of answer on this. Like, this doesn't feel like it's just on there for no reason. At least to me. Um, and I was thinking, like, who could it be? I think Elliot would be a great call if he does have access to computers that we don't know about. If he is trying to, you know, make some sort of connection with an FBI agent here. But I was thinking about like who would have the handle Happy Heart on Henry eight oh six. Like, who is a character? That would have something like that. And Ollie was one of the first people that popped to mind. Angela's now ex-boyfriend, boyfriend during the first half of season one. Known for uh, his online lo- dalliances. Known, for, exactly. So, like, that's very in character with Ollie. Another person stemming from that that came to mind is Turtle from Entourage. Who's na- whose name you remember to be uh, Cisco is the name of that yes. character who who works with the Dark Army, who has, you know, been up to some, you know, he's he's got proof, he's has proven shenanigans in his tool belt in terms of drawing people in and getting them to do what he needs them to do affiliated with the dark army could that be a guy who is on the other side of the screen talking to di piero here uh so that was he's probably outside of elliot that would be the person on my list of people that we already know that might be having some sort of connection to di piero right now that she probably wouldn't be aware of that's a character that I would be suspicious of. But it also could just be nobody at all, or it could be somebody that we're going to meet. I'm, and I'd be okay with never seeing this sort of interaction again and never finding out who this was, because I like it as a character note that sure. she that she is only able in this world, in the show, kind of the show exists in this world where people interact a ton online. Her best friend seems to be Alexa. She asks it ex- existential questions. It makes sense that her, you know, she's an attractive woman, Her, but her relationship is this weird kind of cyber relationship behind the veil of a fake screen name. Uh, And I I like that anonymity. I like that part of the world. I didn't really know that people still engaged in that activity, uh, but I think it's fascinating that she's doing that. Uh, And I think this is a show that presents things that just unabashedly uh, that, you know, again, not a USA Network type of show. And here we have female self-pleasure just put on full display. Uh, In season one, we had homosexual coupling put on full display. And USA just doesn't hold back, man. No, they really don't. No. Yeah, and I, like I said, even if this never is seen again, I like it as a character note. In my notes, I just wrote, she's a lonely person. Uh, and I, I think that the fact that she's lonely, one of the defining characteristics of Elliot is the loneliness. I think we saw that with Darlene on the floor in the bathroom by herself in episode one. I think that that loneliness is something we've seen from Angela. Even when she hooks up with somebody random at a bar, she gets up, can't sleep, wanders out into the middle of the room, and starts self-affirming. So, I like like that these characters don't really uh, exist in a world where they're happy in relationships. These people are all sort of floundering through, struggling through the darkness, as uh, Craig Robinson, as Ray puts it, trying to find balance. So I like that as a character note. She also wants to know, when is the world going to end? And Alexa's answer is, unless it collides with a very large rock, or a future technology goes very wrong indeed, 
Earth is most likely to be destroyed when the sun swells into a red giant in several billion years' time. Yeah, another color um, red reference. Let's be worried about this future tech. Is Alexa going to destroy the world? The singularity, the Alexa oh singularity. It's possible. I don't know. I just, I, and I think we get the weird safe thing again where her personal cell phone is in the safe. I don't right. know why she's freaking out over her name being on the docs list and the fact that it was on one of only three pages that were found at that site over like a thousands of pages document. Why is her name on one of the three pages that were found at Mobley's residence? I think it's a fair question and I think that does speak more to your background theory. I think this safe thing is an unusual character note. I think that it's weird that she's keeping her personal cell phone there or keeping work-related pictures on her personal cell phone when she's in the FBI. Josh, I think that's been in the news. I don't think you're supposed to do government business on a personal kind of network like that. So I think it's... I've heard nothing about it. I'm that. sure you have not heard one word about it. That is, uh, that is unique. Uh, we're just mentioning that for the first time. But yeah, I think it's fascinating. I, again, I think this character... Is sort of emerging from nowhere and and really kind of fascinating. One of the most interesting things going on this season by a long shot for me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another super interesting scene here where Elliot is going to really rip God a new one <laughs> during his church yeah, group. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm late for my church group peace, more like I'm late for my church group war. He exactly. Is, you know, he is challenging God. He tells us that the Adderall is almost out of his system, and once that happens, sleep is going to return, and his mind will be under siege again. Mr. Robot has become my God. Um, so he is worried about all of that, and then he goes, into this massive speech when he is asked to talk by the leader of the group who says God can help and Elliot is having none of this. This is what Elliot says. He says, is that what God does? He helps? Tell me, why didn't God help my innocent friend who died for no reason while the guilty ran free? Okay, fine. Forget the one-offs. How about the countless wars declared in his name? Okay, fine. Let's skip the random meaningless murder for a second, shall we? How about the racist, sexist, phobia soup we've all been drowning in because of him? And I'm not just talking about Jesus. I'm talking about all organized religion. Exclusive groups created to manage control. A dealer getting people hooked on the drug of hope. His followers, nothing but addicts who want their hit of BS to keep their dopamine of ignorance. Addicts afraid to believe the truth. That there's no order, there's no power, that all religions are just metastasizing mindworms meant to divide us so it's easier to rule us by the charlatans that want to run us. All we are to them are paying fanboys of their poorly written sci-fi franchise. If I don't listen to my imaginary friend, why the F society should I listen to yours? People think their worship's some key to happiness. That's just how he owns you. Even I'm not crazy enough to believe that distortion of reality. So F society God, he's not a good enough scapegoat for me. And then he has this great moment where he's done there and now he's like kind of like looking up again, you know, kind of in his sleeping repose. Uh, and he says, wait, did I just say that out loud? And he looks around and he's like, oh, God, I did. Yeah, and it's so, really, I mean, look, people have, have reposted, reblogged. People love this rant. This is the thing after the episode last night I saw the most talked about on Twitter. It also generated a lot of negative response. The most popular Reddit buzzword is cringy. That makes me cringe. I'm sick of that word, Josh. But uh, people have a problem with that. People think that it's a very kind of pedantic rant. I think it's purposefully so. I think it occupies a space that, this, that Mr. 
robots anti-corporate rant at the end of season one in Times Square kind of occupied where it yeah. touches on a lot of very kind of buzzy uh, feelings that people have about a certain subject, but really packs them all in there. I think it's also not meant to be just a direct like, you know, quote right from like the Reddit atheism subreddit. I think it's fascinating that right before this rant against God, Elliot has just called Mr. Robot his God. And we have right. had that interaction with Mr. Robot and Elliot where Mr. Robot has said, Elliot, you were supposed to be my God. I was only supposed to be your prophet. There's this weird relationship where Mr. Robot is kind of taking Elliot over. And which face is the mask and which face is actually behind the mask? At the end of his Adderall rope, Elliot is saying, this is it. Mr. Robot is my God. I have to face up to the fact that i can't get rid of him and this is my problem with god like you can't trust him he leads you down bad paths you worship these things that he says to worship and you end up in bad places everything that you just said so his rant against organized religion and god is also in some ways his rant about the things that he's creating in his own mind and he even co-mingles the two during the middle of his speech when he says if i'm not going to listen to my imaginary friend why should i listen to yours and this is a very complicated person right. who's very messed up by the Mr. Robot of it all. And I think it's really putting him in a tough place when he's in a room with a lot of other people who also have a unique relationship that they rely on to guide them through and give them positive affirmation. Elliot's saying, like, you're ignoring a lot of the negative affirmations you could read into it. I'm focusing on those negative affirmations that Mr. Robot brings me. My God is darkness. My God is bad. My God is panic and a scream in my head. And this is a very difficult thing for Elliot. And I think a, a great scene. And I think it's very telling that he throws the journal in the garbage on the way out the door. Yeah. I don't think that this is the mission statement of the show. You no, know, like no, it's, no, no. You know, it's very nihilistic. It's, you know, it's he's talking about how, uh, like, all groups are bad. All organization is bad, and we are just, you know, sheep. We're all sheep. We'll bah, bah, bang along with the ride. And I think, you know, we, we talked about it in great detail just a little while ago with DiPiero and a bunch of other characters that we've seen throughout the show and how lonely and how disconnected they are i think that you know the ultimate comment on this show is finding connection and figuring out how do you become at peace with yourself and with other people i think that that is what this show seemingly to me at the undercurrent of it all is hopefully driving toward i don't think that this is endorsing what elliot is saying here to me this is Mr. Robot talking. You know, this is what it looks like when we see Elliot, they see me. Um, you know, that line that Mr. Robot has to Elliot in the premiere, I think we are seeing Mr. Robot through Elliot in this moment. I don't know about if it's for the first time, but it's certainly the most prominent time that I can think of, of really seeing what that, you know, that militant aspect of Elliot looks like when it is presented through physically Elliot and not through a guy who looks like Elliot. Yeah, I think that that, I think there's a lot to that. And I think that Mr. Robot, you know, he doesn't mean to say it out loud. You know, yeah. that's not what Elliot wants to do. Well, and Elliot has been journaling to keep Mr. Robot at bay. And the action right. that ends the scene is, is Mr. Robot or Elliot tossing that journal right into the trash. So it's, you know, control is an illusion and control is gone in this moment at the very 
least. Uh, probably not. I don't know why you're going to throw that journal in the public trash. Maybe you, you keep that for, you know, your, your personal records. Yeah, because it's going to come back. It's certainly it's a boomerang journal because it will be coming Absolutely. back. And I think creates gifts. That it journal. does. It does. That's what it's for. Uh, yeah, I think you're right about the control is an illusion kind of aspect of that scene. But it's kind of fascinating because I think the next scene with Price and Angela, Price sort of exercises his control and alpha males the other two guys at the dinner out the door says angela and i would like to have one more drink and they get the hint and they leave and then price is so sneaky and so slimy and i loved the discussion you had with portia uh, about this kind of uh, this scene with 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 price because he really is like oh these guys are great jim, jim has two kids three kids two in college one in high school he does our toys for tots program uh saul also a good man. It's all good man. Uh, he leads a nonprofit arm of our company. Oh, and another thing, uh, they were both in the room with Colby when they covered up the leak in your hometown. Oh, yeah. So, oh, by the way, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Uh, ordinary men are capable of extraordinary things. They've also been doing some insider trading. Oh, by the way, Angela, here's a disc with enough evidence on them to put them away for years. Uh, let me just kind of sneak right over to you and hand this to you. This is Price in full-on controlling Angela mode. Yeah, just like really snaking in her ear truly at the end is all but like eating her ear uh you know he is hissing at her and you know when she says whatever you're doing i don't trust it he says you're panicking right now there it is again the panic um you're panicking right now i understand it's a big decision you're making because these men their lives will be destroyed but the minute you remove emotion from this You'll do just fine. And what is he grooming her for here? Or what is he testing? You know, why is he doing this? And that's why Angela says that outright. Whatever you're doing, I don't trust it. One of the interesting notes about Angela and her relationship with Price right now is even though Angela has seemingly gone cold robot here at E-Corp, where she is trying to be unfeeling, she's not exactly making friends with the people in her department. She's really just putting her, you know, her nose to the grindstone and really just trying to hammer out as much good work as she can for whatever that reason may end up being. But when it comes to Price, she's not afraid to challenge the guy. Um, so whatever it is she's running, whatever it is she's driving at, she is up for challenging him or at least speaking back to him in these moments. But it's not enough here to say whatever you're doing, I don't trust it. Even though that's an honest comment that she's making there, Price still has the upper hand here. And it's now in Angela's hands what to do with this. And I'm curious about what it is he's testing. Does he want her to turn these people in? Does he want her to, you know, pull off some form of small vengeance, even if it isn't the widespreading thing that she is after right now? Or is he going to be disappointed if she pursues these guys? Yeah, I, I think that that's, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Hard, Hard to, to say. say. The thing that I'm really tracking is where does his sort of, sliminess stop because he he in he presents so disinterested or disconnected and angela remarks in, in episode 10 of season one that she can't believe how calm he is in the face of crisis and that's where he he talks about aliens and zombies and the things that it's not uh, and these are just people that did this uh, he also remarks at the end of that episode to white rose that they know who did it and they'll be handled accordingly uh, the crisis actor 
Carter kind of guy who calls Gideon that and shoots Gideon in episode uh, one or at the end of episode two of this season, I should say. Uh, he seems to be a paranoid lunatic, a conspiracy theorist, if you will. We saw the guy ranting on the screen in Madam Executioner's home about how this whole hack was orchestrated to replace democracy with fascism or with, you know, just this kind of corporate dictatorship. I wonder, was Price involved? Was the conspiracy theorist right? Is the whole kind of evil core pack something that Price has found a way to sort of massage and manipulate throughout? And does he have some greater goal in mind? I don't think we can trust anything about Price at this point because he's the kind of guy that invites you out to a nice dinner, gets you semi-fredo, and then casually slips into conversation that he's got a disc full of information about guys that he wants to burn. Is he priming Angela to be his hitman? Is he trying to test her and train her to get rid of her emotion? I don't know, but I think the thing with Philip Price is none of it is off the table except the semi-fredo. And I, yeah, that's gone, and it was fantastic. Yes. By the way, thank you so much for it. But I think I think. I think that it's interesting, you know, talking through that line he has in the premiere, you can't have a con without the confidence and, you know, applying that to Angela and maybe, you know, she has something else in mind. But if you think about it through that perspective of that really reflects what Price might be up to unknown to everybody else in the story right now, or at least most of the people in the story right now, if he is somehow manipulating this situation for his benefit, if he does feel like he has a way out of this thing and we just don't know it yet and he's con- confident in his ability to negotiate this situation. It's an interesting thing to consider. Well, and he makes a reference here to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, uh, who are characters from Macbeth that are kind of background characters, but that throughout the context of fiction and literature have been sort of re-referenced or repurposed into characters that you can remark on the events of Macbeth, which is, of course, a a play about uh, kind of a grab for power uh, and trying to to upset the apple cart in a way that favors you, and that there are these people in the background that maybe are observing the whole thing and have their own opinion and can kind of see the long version of the story. Uh, he references these guys uh, in his his kind of uh, his speech to Angela here about who these two guys really kind of are. So he may have a much longer game that he's playing. Uh, Elliot may be the Macbeth, or or I think Tyrell would be the more accurate uh, comparison, especially with Joanna being the Lady Macbeth uh, and and literally wiping a spot out of something in season one. Uh, So this is the second kind of connection there. I think he's a fascinating character. It's totally understandable why he was bumped up to series regular. I'm loving getting more of the Philip Price story, even though I really don't know what his goal for Angela is. I, I think he's priming her to be able to act without emotion. My guess is that's to act against Elliot. Why he wants to take Elliot out, I'm not 100% sure, but if you keep following that through line, it would have to be that he knows that Elliot did the hack, and it could be, again, covering up tracks. He knows that Elliot did the hack because he set the events in motion that caused Elliot to do the hack, and he's really this kind of prime mover throughout. The end of season one is really making me paranoid about Philip Price, Josh. You're supposed to be paranoid. I got it. I know. The panic is setting in. The panic is just, it's just there now. Yeah, it really is just there now. And you know what I need? I need somebody to talk me out of this. I need somebody uh, who can guide me through the darkness, who's been there before, and who can kind of tell me how to take step-by-step ways to get out. Is that is there somebody on the show who can do that? 
You need your own personal ray. I need a new ray of sunshine, Josh. You need your own ray of sunshine. I will not steal your ray of sunshine. Yeah, please don't steal uh, but, my sunshine. But Ray shows up to the diner. He has Elliot's journal. He says the chaplain is an old friend. Charlie Chaplin? Charlie Chaplin is an old friend of mine. I'm a lot older than I look. Uh, but no, he shows up and has Elliot's journal. How is Ray in possession of this? Thing? Well, it's a good question. And the word chaplain there is setting off a lot. It's a trigger alert warning for a lot of these theories about some kind of institution that probably you don't call someone a chaplain unless they're kind of the medical, pro- the, the religious professional at a hospital or a jail or something like that. That it's a chaplain is almost a position and not like a reverend or something like that. So I I don't know. He says, trust me, I've been there. He does go on to tell us the story about how his wife got randomly killed in a car accident. uh, And he gets his hooks into Elliot. Interesting that Elliot is in the diner without Leon, even though he takes all his meals with Leon. Not sure what's going on there. But Leon, I think Leon started to feel personally attacked by Elliot Seinfeld. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, Elliot is all classic George. He just knocks some old people out of the way to get to the door. Oh, that's great. And Leon says, I don't like that. So I don't know where Leon is, but you know, you can, you're welcome to speculate on that depending on your own pet theory. But Leon conveniently absent here. Ray does sneak in. Ray starts to get his hooks into Elliot. That's not a great thing, I think, for the future of Elliot. I certainly think that that's headed in a dangerous direction. I think that Dom DiPiero going to meet Mrs. Romero uh, and kind of hacking her way into the house by offering to roll her a joint is headed in a dangerous direction be- because Agent DiPiero does find the DJ Mobile flyer. Uh, Why is Romero keeping this? I don't know, but that flyer is sort of a loose end that does ultimately lead Agent DiPiero at the end of this episode to... DJ Mobley may have wanted to change his name. Yeah. His DJ name may... You should probably go with something else. Well, that's the question is, uh, what what level of fame does the DJ have? Was this kind of a joke? Does he go by Mobley in other places? You seem to think I think that this is going to lead us more directly to Mobley than I'm hoping. I'm hoping that's kind of an online alien is that Mobley's not really his real name and that they won't be able to get anywhere when they look up DJ Mobley uh, that I that I think it's just going to allow them to uncover more in the arcade and there's going to be some loose end there. I'm hoping the loose end isn't our son, Josh. I hope you're right. I'm worried. I am fearful. I am a feared for DJ Mobley. I'm a feared for DJ Mobley a little bit uh, because I we've been seeing F Society sort of being primed for a fall here, uh, and they were at the kind of high heights. They literally castrated a bull uh, that represented the stock exchange, uh, and we've seen them kind of slowly getting kind of picked off here now, and that's what we're worried about is that are they going to be picked off by enemies of state and enemies from extra state? I don't know, but I think it's very dangerous and i think that bad things are happening and i think that uh the why do we fall lesson josh is a lesson that is talked about in this episode no yeah why do we fall master way yeah. yeah so ray is referencing that whole idea of like you fall so that you could pick yourself back up again as alfred and thomas wayne regularly told batman and batman begins he rejects that he says the whole thing is a fall life is a fall you can't help but be in a perpetual state of grasping in the dark it's not about getting up it's about stumbling in the right direction it's the only way to move forward um so he's basically saying to elliot like don't resist the fact that you're falling that things seem out of control that's just life 
that's just where we're Yeah, and Elliot, it, it resonates. Elliot says maybe he's right about avoiding the crash. Maybe it's about setting a break point to find a flaw in the code and fix that and then carry on and find the next one. The quest to keep going, to always fight for footing. As long as you keep stumbling, maybe that's all it takes. Maybe that's as good as it gets. And honestly, that's a pretty, I think, dark worldview for most people. But for Elliot, I think that represents a little bit of light. And I think that that light's a little tempting. And it's tempting enough that even though Ray references Mr. Robot and says, I can tell this person you write about means a lot to you. I know that he controls you. Uh, Even though as soon as Ray gets up from what looks like an office desk, Mr. Robot is standing there. Mr. Robot doesn't say anything. He doesn't say you got to go. You got to get out of here. You shouldn't listen to this guy. If you'll recall, Mr. Robot wanted Elliot to work with Ray. Yeah, no, he talked to Ray. He took a meeting with Ray that Elliot didn't know about. Yes, he did. Uh, And so this is kind of Mr. Robot's grand design. And uh, Miss, but Ray has a very a much more eloquent way, or a certainly more picturesque way of putting control as an illusion. He says controls about as real as a one-legged unicorn taking a leak at the end of a double rainbow. Uh, yes. And I think that that resonates more with Elliot than hearing Mister Robot say it. So this is a very different voice uh, to hear the kind of Mister Robot points from, and as such, they're a little more resonant for Elliot. It's a little more positive of a message, and Elliot sticks around to play chess. Uh, I'm thinking this is gonna is not gonna lead to something good yeah ray says do you play chess i've been looking for a good adversary uh are we you know we we've talked about in the past elliot's rogues gallery are we introducing another person into the rogues gallery is ray somebody who is always going to be a friend or given that we know that ray has his own agenda uh that we have seen independently from scenes with elliot is he one day going to become a foe either way he is stepping up to be a massive character this season yeah, absolutely. And and a good one. I mean, a really fascinating, interesting one. And for me, I don't need to get into the institutional kind of theory. I don't think it even really matters that much. After this third episode, I think we dialed it back a little bit. I think there's still a lot of fun to be had there. But I think that at the heart, it's uh, we're in a different place with it. We're in a place where uh, Elliot is really kind of choosing his path and where that path is going to end up. Uh, it seems to me that this guy is involved in the more nefarious kind of sides of things, physical violence, the sort of things we've seen Mr. Robot really encourage, and Elliot eschew. So if Elliot gives into this and works with Ray, where is that going to lead Elliot? Is Elliot already kind of exercising those demons by literally killing Romero or getting Gideon killed? I don't know. I think it's fascinating, though. I think it's uh, it's a very unsettling for me on this show, Josh. I want more Starbucks. I want more Elliot being a basic white woman. <laughs> That's not going to be happening anytime soon. We're oh, in the it's dark too bad. season. It's you know, yeah. it's a season of darkness. Uh, I think we could expect somebody stole a sunshine. Yeah, I think we could expect this to be pretty grim uh, and you know stay that way before it gets any brighter. Uh, especially given the end of the episode, which is you know Elliot talking about his Ray. Right? Maybe it's not about avoiding the crash. It's about setting a breakpoint to find the flaw in the codes, fix it. And carry on until we hit the next flaw, the quest to keep going, to always fight for footing. Maybe we're all just stumbling from the right questions to the wrong answers or from the right answers to the wrong questions. It doesn't matter where you go or where you come from as long as you keep stumbling. Maybe that's all it takes. 
Maybe that's as good as it gets. And as he is coming to those conclusions, we see that Di Piero has stumbled upon F Society. She has seen it, and it's literally just, you know, she's like, I can't believe that that's actually called F Society. Uh, you know, it's a really fun moment that closes out the episode. Well, yeah, fun without the U in the end. Yeah, without the U in the end, but she has found it. She has found F Society HQ. Who knows where that leads us moving forward? We know um, in the season one finale that F Society had its huge party there so that there were just tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of fingerprints so it would be a lot harder to track down Darlene and Romero and Mobley and all that but does that make it impossible to track them down don't know about that so I don't think it is an innocent discovery that's happening here I can only imagine DPRO discovering F society is going to lead us further and further down the deep dark robot hole yes exactly and I just I think that I, I don't know, like you're saying, uh, how far that goes or what it leads to. I think that that's the the kind of a lot of people are saying the show needs more plot. We're really taking too much time with Elliot's internal struggles. But I think this uh, FBI pursuing F society plot is really simmering at this point. Uh, it's getting to the point where it's near boil and we're only three episodes in and she's already found the HQ from season one. They did have a party there to cover up all the evidence. It remains to be seen. Whatever evidence they might not have gotten rid of or what might still be around there or who might still be connected to that place i gotta say probably not good that she's found that joint can't imagine uh i mean the other joints were okay but this one not so great yeah i mean listen romero's joints were fatter but this is still a good one <laughs> it's still a good joint yeah. uh all right anything else from this episode before we sign out no i mean that's it for me i really like the the gideon stuff is still i think if you go back and rewatch that and you think about philip price and you think about darlene i think that there's still a big question mark surrounding that and i think that that guy who killed gideon starts to look more like a jack ruby type uh who maybe uh, is doing something that is seemingly pro-America but may have been covering up a loose end uh, and not actually doing something that seemed to be pro-America. I think you can read a lot of conspiracy theories into that. If you want to start doing that, I think that we have to track that throughout the season because I think the who's killing these people is a big question that's bubbling up right now. 100%. So we will keep tracking that. We will track everything as we move forward through Mr. Robot Season 2. Every Thursday is when these podcasts are coming out. Don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to what we're doing. Postshowrecaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes. That's MR Robot iTunes is the best way to subscribe. You can subscribe to everything we're doing here on Postshow Recaps. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Get your questions and your feedback into our show by emailing us, Mr. Robot at postshowrecaps.com or our feedback form postshowrecaps.com slash feedback follow Antonio he's on Twitter at AC Mazzaro two Z's one R I'm at Round Howard you want to go hashtag private panic on this guy of course we got to go private panic and I really got to say if you guys aren't tracking what Josh is doing on the Hollywood Reporter uh, a couple times a week with the Mr. Robot content you very much should check that out I think this stuff oh, shucks. no really the two interviews have been awesome I think that everyone that's involved with the show is super bought in you did a great uh, interview facebook live with cora donna the one of the writers and the tech consultant the real life Man, mr robot yes. yeah like this is this was really great you're getting great access josh and i think it's awesome there's a lot of really committed talented bought in people that are working on this show and i think they all have some great things to think and say about the show and anytime that you've got a chance to read what josh is connecting with those people i, I highly encourage you to do that i agree thanks I that's agree. good i'm shocked that you do 
I appreciate it, Antonio, and we appreciate you guys listening to what we are doing here. All of your feedback has been very much appreciated. We will be back next week with another episode of the Mr. Robot Podcast here on Potion Recaps. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. But I'm still around I'll always be around Alexa, stop.